Gifting is hard. This isn't news. But what might be news is that you can now send beer, wine, and spirits right to your friends and family with Drizzly, the go-to app for alcohol delivery. Which is good news, because adult beverages are the only gift that no one ever returns. And Drizzly's tailored experience lets you find the perfect drink for the occasion, no matter what it is. You'll save time by shopping a huge selection of drinks from wherever you are. You'll save money by comparing prices on said drinks across stores. And you'll get to spend more time sipping with your gifties. You know, if they're the sharing type. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com and get your favorite drinks delivered today. Ding dong, it's Drizzly. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. You want to rate matches? You want to talk about interviews? You want to just discuss professional wrestling with your friends? Well, do it. And grapple. I'm going to download it. This is Spotlight, the official podcast of Grapple. I'm Benno. I'm Joe. And I'm JP. And we're back. We missed a week. Uh, won't make a habit of it. Uh, real life got in the way. I was moving house. Never do it. It's the worst thing in the world. Um, but what a fucking week we chose to miss. Uh, I suppose we would have recorded Monday, guys. And most of, the, most of the, the big news kind of happened after that. So we'd probably be gutted either way. But fuck me. Uh, what a week in the, in the world of wrestling we've, uh, we've got to catch up on. Well, I was going to say, if we'd recorded on that Monday, it would have been almost redundant by about Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, Tuesday morning. And then, yeah, exactly. And then by the time it would have hit again. So it was it was a good thing that we all had a week off. Mm. We'd earned that week off as well. And, you know, we're going to be doing double this week after the amount of stuff going on the last week. So, oh, yeah. God, yeah. yeah. And we're doing the G1 stuff as well. <laughs> Stop still to call. This summer, uh-huh. like, yeah. It, it, in my, in my brain, all of these weekends are coming up, but they're a few weeks away. But literally, G1 starts next weekend, and then it just doesn't stop from then on. We're right in the, we're right in the thick of the this this uh, this long summer. Yeah, well, we've had our off season. There was a couple of quiet weeks, and now is the big bang. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I've got to be honest. Like of of all the big kind of news and all the different kind of controversies that happened on. On your favourite app, Joe, Twitter, over the last week. I've got to be honest, the biggest thing that I've, I've had people asking me to for us to talk about, even in person, I went to RevPro Manchester and had several people oh. come up and ask me about it. I mean, Joe, can you explain the Roast Dinner Revolution? Uh, I, th- I think we, we, we need rebellion. to hear about this. Rebellion, sorry, the Roast Dinner Rebellion. Get your right, mate. Come on. <laughs> your brother dropped you in it there, mate. Say it again. Your brother Sam dropped you in it there. Oh, I, I know, I know. Um... Yeah, well, the rebellion's still going strong 10 years on. So, you know, I was 10 years ahead of my time and it's got a second life 10 years on. You know, what's old is new and all that. And I'm glad that it's getting the due attention that it deserved 10 years ago. So you think by stealth, the roast rebellion has actually infiltrated people's minds? Possibly, yeah. I think when people are, you know, chomping on their shite roast on (sighs) Sunday now. There we go. They're going to have me in their mind and they're going to be thinking about the roast rebellion. Yeah, they may be enjoying their roast dinner, but at the same time, I like to think the message of the rebellion is there in the subconscious. Is this something you set up as a student or what was like? It was like a Facebook group, wasn't it, of of like-minded individuals who, uh, as anyone who listened last time would know, uh, disliked the the standard traditional English roast dinner. 
Uh, very much Southampton's Dead Poet Society. It sounds like the Roast Rebellion. Yeah, well, where's the, what's that? Like, give, give me more details. It just sounds like a group of students with their hatred of roasts teaming up. So am I the Robin Williams? Yes. No? Or we need to find an Ethan Hawke. He's in there, isn't he? Well, you need to find some sort of secret society type. Mm. Sounds more like the the Freemasons or the Stonecutters and the Simpsons, possibly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, ah, You want some more context of the Rose Rebellion, I'm assuming. So, um, ah, what? Honestly, Joe, like me, me and JP. How am I talking about this? You're, you're off Twitter, so me and JP, we just get all of the bullets. And yeah. genuinely, I think it's the one topic we've had the most feedback on. And like of all the controversial takes you've had on this podcast, Joe, it's the one that struck a chord with the vast <laughs> majority of people who've got even angrier, I think, than, than the Progress fans were that one time when we were on Indie Corner. Uh, we've got a couple of supporters for you. But overwhelmingly, Joe, uh-huh. uh, yeah, the people seem mm-hmm. to be against you. Well, including if me if there are a couple of supporters out there you know they're good like-minded people <laughs> you know uh, rebellions grow slowly at times and you know rome wasn't built in a day and all of that stuff and i like to think of myself as like the Che Guevara of uh, the roast dinner and traditional British dishes, let's just say. Um, yeah so to give you a bit of context when I my mum great cook cracking cook the roast dinner, nah. In the lemon household, there was one dinner that was served at the same time every week without fail, and it was a roast dinner. Where was like I don't know, Curry Monday or um, um, Wednesdays or house? That's on a Thursday, their curry day, and this microwave shite. Um, or Tandoori Tuesday to keep the curry fever. For um, I don't know, we can keep going. But every Sunday, this one meal that was my most disliked meal was served up. <laughs> like, she wasn't serving a spaghetti bolognese every week or a, a lasagna, let's say, or, um, I don't know, a Bangs paella. Yeah, just uh, where where was the other food? But nope, the roast had to be on a Sunday. And sometimes she'd punish us with two in a week. <laughs> if, I've been, if I've been really fucking bad, I get two in a week. When's the second one come in? Like midweek as a yeah, buffer? Yeah, like a Wednesday. Like, is a That's roast. a lot like, of grief oh. for a Wednesday. Well, yeah, but unfortunately... It's not about you, Benno. I don't ever really feel like cooking a roast midweek. Yeah, that's, that's a, well, I'm mad. It's a heavy you meal need... to have twice a week as well. Never mind, just cooking it. Yeah. yeah, I'm completely with you, mate. Now can you feel a bit of sympathy for me? See, I'm getting you on no. side already. Not not no. to the overall idea. I think it does fundamentally come down to your mum doesn't cook a good roast. <laughs> well, what I'll That's say... the what crux say, of the issue. So I moved home after living out... Not living in the house for a bit. Back at home. <laughs> Sundays come around. It was like fuck's sake, fucking roast. Another <laughs> mate of mine who was also living back home for a bit at that point in time, went to the cinema on a Sunday one day and we were just like, oh, fucking roast, complained about it. I was with him this weekend, actually. We had, we had some cracking meals together and we ate a Sunday lunchtime together where we he had a, what did he have, a ch- chicken burger? looked cracking. I had an amazing salad. Oh, top notch it was. Um, yeah, but it was a good Sunday and it was a roast rebellion style Sunday. So it's still going strong 10 years on. But... 
Ah, oh, there's nothing I hated more than waking up on a late on a Sunday morning and just smelling like these gravy fumes. I walked downstairs and headache inducing and ah, oh, yeah. Is it, is, it, is it tied to it being Sunday and the next day is going back to school? Like I was listening to the uh, the Chair yeah. Shop podcast this week and they were talking about like heartbeat when it came on on a Sunday night. You kind of knew your weekend was over. You knew yeah, it was, it was game like, over then, wasn't it? Right, it was that boring show and you just knew it was done. What happened on a Sunday? Football Italia was the highlight. Bit of the EastEnders omnibus as well, if I'd missed an episode or if I fancied watching, you know, the episode twice. It'd been a good week on the square. <laughs> as a feature-length film. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, some good weeks back in the day. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, then the heartbeat, I'd hear that music, I'd be like, oh, for fuck's sake. Mm. My mum really liked Nick Berry as well. Simon Wicks with EastEnders. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, nah, roast dinners, I just could not stand. Look, I've had other people cook me roast. I've had other people over the years say, oh, you've never had a good roast. JP showed me a picture of one of his roasts. <laughs> it looked right. absolutely vile. That's box, but go on. It looked just, nah, it looked no. wrong. No. Mate, bleak no. on a plate. Bleak no. on a plate. You can't appreciate it. Nothing, it's, it's artisan. It's like a shabby chic. Nothing roast. says kitchen sink drama like a roast dinner. No. And I like kitchen sink dramas, but I don't want to live in one. I don't want to eat it's, it's, in it's, one. It's, it's not. You've and had I, a bad one. Now, what we need to do, ideally, at some point, is record on a Sunday. <laughs> and I'll do... Now, unfortunately, there's pressure now on me, inexplicably, out of all of this, <laughs> to make you a fucking lovely roast. Well, My reputation goes on the line. You walk away scot-free story of my life in many ways but um but yeah so i have to cook you a nice roast and i'm gonna do something and it's gonna you'll find a reason i've got to find like a i don't know like a good game on at the same time to get you in a good mood beforehand <laughs> but you're I'm say, overthinking it you say nice roast nice roasts don't exist so good luck to you <laughs> Ch- well, challenge accepted. See, okay. What you need to do, JP, is like make it like an old school Sunday. Get the EastEnders omnibus in. Like my Sundays are kind of because I've got positive menus of the roast dinner. Play football on a Sunday morning. Come back. It was on YouTube, is it not? No, the bill is on. Um, oh, it's on one of the preview channels. You perked up morning. again <laughs> after the roast. <laughs> <laughs> like in my okay. house, we'd watch uh, the, the Wonder yeah. Years. We'd watch. Uh, Bullseye, that was a that was a cracking Sunday. Oh, Is that, would mate, that not bring back good memories for you, Joe? My my I, aunt had a bully in her house. I tried nicking it several times, which is a bit, you know, I was probably thirteen last time I was up there. As far as the the non woke presenters of the eighties and nineties went, <laughs> was, I was more of a big break and a. Jim, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not a Jim Davidson fan. He's an awful human being. But yeah, I was. <laughs> yeah, watch it, John. Bullseye. Uh, I got a lot of nostalgia for Big Break. Enjoyed John Virgo's sense of comedy. And his trick shots. Trick shots. Oh, yeah. I watched an episode of Big Break that's on iPlayer inexplicably um, from like 2001. Some of Davidson's like leering. There's this girl on there who's in like a short skirt. She's a Star Trek fan. You can imagine what happens. <laughs> I reckon I'm giving it a watch just to see what unfolds, but it's on iPlayer. Still on there? Uh, yeah, me and my brother watched it a few months. We watched Osprey Walter and OTC followed by Big Break. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to be honest, I did have like a John Vago's trick shot like toy set uh, and definitely some kind of Big Break snooker table, I'm pretty sure, when I was a kid. Uh, innocent days before we knew. You're a bit tasty at snooker, Benno. No, awful. And that yeah. theme tune as well. 
It's only a game, so... Well, there's the episode. Real good, good fight. <laughs> I'm going to be snooker in you tonight. You're really good at snooker. Not bad. You like the uh, uh, the Republic of Ireland's answer to Alex Higgins? <laughs> I hope not. Because no. he, he ended up, like, dead in a caravan. Saw a play about him in the West End called Hurricane. Any good? Yeah. Cool. You're yeah. like Jimmy White, if anyone. Oh, Jimmy White, hate- that's JP. I know we're bringing up snooker. There's one thing in my house, rather inexplicably. Um, are either of you aware of a snooker player called Cliff Thorburn? Because of Alan Partridge, I am, yeah. Right. I've I've got a picture, a double-sided picture of Cliff Thorburn in my, in my house. That used to be when my mum had it. And people are, oh, is that your dad? And it's like, no. It's like, who is it? It's the 1980, I want to say 83 or 82, world snooker champion, hit the first televised 147, Cliff Thorburn. Yeah. And it's uh, him sat beside a piano wearing white socks. There. There you go, Ben. I don't know how you can reply to any of that. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, JP, that, that was a that was a good JP quote. But to be honest, I was just thinking about your video uh, from YouTube, your, uh, your Arsenal oh, West oh. 11 student film. <laughs> pitching you as you said that, that. That was another thing that did the round... For anybody who wants to blame me for putting it out there, JP, Joe was the devil on my shoulder. This was Joe's. Oh, I know. Joe's pulling the strings behind the scenes on uh, on Twitter here of your yeah, your uh, your early days of uh, of punditry um, before the podcast. Yeah. It's all right for that, isn't it, Joe? To send that kind of stuff out and about. Well, think about it. Got you some attention. Got the show attention. some attention. Showed off your great comedic side. <laughs> that You're line when you say he, he had pace, but so the grounds, and you don't play him left mid. It's a perfect. That's, that's so true. I was in yeah, the studio that's... while he was doing it, and I had to leave when he said that. I was laughing. Luckily, the mic didn't pick up laughing, but I was pissing myself. You kept referencing you kept referencing Joe as well. Like he was just like, "Who's Joe? someone yeah. said that to me? Said, Who's Joe?" Like <laughs> they're my students, so <laughs> they is, and they asked me to do it, and because they're a bit older, I can get away with a bit cheek, be a bit cheekier, looser with the language. Oh, and... one line in, you were like, "Yeah, the shite. He's shite. He's terrible." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's a lot of bitter memories of, of like, some of those players. Like, Eagle stepping off, that's 6-1 at Old Trafford. I mean, I've got genuine... I mean, I've got genuine anger about Theo Walcott some of, some of the time. Denilson is the one. Like, ah... Oh. I legitimately loathe him. It could be lovely, but it's just, like, you took the piss... For years, I'm doing the rant now. I need to <laughs> it's on YouTube if you need to see it. <laughs> uh, it wasn't his fault. He didn't pick himself, did he? <laughs> Just every summer we need a keeper. Surely we get a keeper. It's like fucking him again, again in goal. Sorry, what sorry. I'll, what I'll also say is uh, the students spoke to me. They were like, "Oh, I got a spike in the the episode of JP." I was like, "Yep, you could uh, thank me and Benno for that one." Yeah. <laughs> Everyone, everyone's a winner. No, I got no. them more attention. I got them more views, mm. and I got you know a bit of attention on you, a bit of attention on the show as well. Like yes. good bit of marketing, mate. Think of the uh, the sort okay. of like um, what would you call it? There's a word synergy that is created there oh. to some degree. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Uh, any, anything more on that roast dinner, Arsenal's? Joe, I don't know if you want to start on fry ups. I'm a little bit worried. Can we? I think we could uh, take another controversy. Let's let's we'll go. We'll, fry ups will come up naturally at some other point. Let's. Let, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've had enough pelters. I've had enough stones thrown at me regarding this roast dinner bollocks. <laughs> yeah, I don't like a fry up. If you want to hear more, I don't know. Next week, stay tuned. Inquire. Yeah, cliffhanger. 
fry up those cliffhangers. It's a first. Yeah, yeah, but fry ups are disgusting. We're breaking new grounds in wrestling podcasting, Benno. There you go. Yeah, but everything's a selling point. You've got to tie it in, like uh, like Joe said. There, you, you've uh, sold some extra reviews to the to YouTube channel. If you search uh, JP Hulahan Arsenal on YouTube, it'll come up. Uh-huh. You can find that clip. Uh, you got to you got to capitalize on these things. It's like uh, this week, Grapple put Gareth put up a, a nice graphic of the. Uh, that, that Will Ospreay, uh, Seth Rollins beef that was happening uh, this time last week uh, when we didn't record, uh, put together like the uh, the difference in in star ratings uh, compared to the, comparing the two when Seth Rollins was going off on one on Twitter and just desperately losing in a Twitter fight to Will Ospreay of all people. Uh, I don't know, Joey, you kept up to date on all this stuff. I don't know what you made of it. Uh, apparently, the best wrestler in the world happens in uh, in WWE. Oh, I've kept up with all of this. It's hilarious. It's clearly <laughs> another company-directed pile-on oh, load yeah. of rubbish. And um, They like to do this occasionally, and it feels like Seth Rollins is sort of like the chosen one right now. Oh, he's just trying to impress Becky Lynch. I said that. It's like, it's like you know, when you get a new girlfriend and you kind of copy all their hobbies. He's copying his girlfriend's nah, hobbies, and he's literally just copying them badly. Like, she's a dickhead on Twitter, so he's trying to be a dickhead on Twitter, and he's failing miserably. I can't say I've ever seen Becky Lynch on Twitter, so I've got no idea, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's kind of really how she sort of built a lot of the, just mm. being very in your face yeah. and okay. cutting. But he's yeah. very bad at it. He's, he's so terrible. Bad. He's got zero credibility uh, yeah. when doing it, and he's just coming across like a complete mug, and his timing is all over the place. Mm. And also, uh, look at my bank account, like... Oh. It's the worst like, comeback. You've lost them. It, it's like you resort to comparing penis sizes or something to win an <laughs> argument. That that. <laughs> Woody, have you seen it? Oh, yeah, yeah those, those nudes were kind of floating around last year. Was it just me or so? JP, you must have looked at them. I did. I remember hearing about them, but I didn't I didn't see them. No, you're alone. Riddle on ones one, or just, just Riddle at the... <laughs> riddle, win, riddle wins that conversation. <laughs> JP can confirm as well. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, to, to the point that I got Gareth kind of put some like average star ratings from Grapple just to kind of read mm. out the headline. Uh, Osprey's uh, average from this year of uh, 17 New Japan singles mas- matches, an average of po- 4.09 stars, uh, 4.16 if you're just counting the best of the Super Juniors. And Seth Rollins, 14 pay-per-view and TV singles matches, average rating 2.82. I mean, there you go. That just kind of says it all, doesn't it? And I know Those house show matches you're not including, they're the best fucking matches and that have the, the ever TV... existed in the history of mankind. Baron <laughs> Corbin. You, what you're missing is basically Flair Steamboat, clearly. When Baron Corbin got involved, it was just like, oh, for fuck's sake. Like, <laughs> this is Pete now. Osprey's response was gold, i got to say. Oh, God, yeah, when he said that um, that's why Raw sucks so bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Even if you take the TV matches out of it and you say, oh, you know, Seth Rollins works TV style matches, just done as pay per view matches, two point eight six. I mean, I think you two are bigger Seth Rollins fans than me. Like him and Finn Balor, just I've never gotten the both for me above average good wrestlers who I just don't really the praise they get in some circles. Uh, I just don't get. Uh, and yet he's not for me. <laughs> if you watch any wrestling outside the WWE, I don't know how. In what world you would say Seth Rollins is in, even in the conversation for best in the world at this point, or is is claim that the best wrestler in the world happens in WWE could it in any way be true if you're watching literally any other notable product in the world? 
Yeah, uh, you know, I've enjoyed his work over the years. I enjoyed it in Ring of Honor. Um, I've enjoyed it in WWE at points. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I think he's got a lot of self-belief, clearly, and massively overrates himself. And it almost sounds like he d- just doesn't watch mm. wrestling outside of WWE, so has no idea just how good some of the guys outside of WWE mm. are at this moment would, yeah. You think having like mm-hmm. his indie background? I mean, were you one of the people, Joe, in 2010 in Ring of Honor who uh, who turned on him when he didn't get his uh, nah, when they dragged his feet on his title win? I wasn't watching Ring of Honor. I gave yeah. up. I'd given up by that point. Um, <laughs> and you know, I wish I wish I'd never watched the Ring of Honor from that day forward. Because <laughs> let's be honest, Ring of Honor for the last however many years has been shite mm. for the most part, aside mm. from you know the odd moment and all the rest of it. Um, no, I wasn't one of those people, but. What I find hilarious is in the last week, Seth Rollins has managed to make himself look like an idiot. He's been blindly ignorant to like quality. He's mistimed completely and appeared completely tone deaf to when and what he is tweeting. And he's also managed to really slag off his best or one of his best mates at the same time. Like, been a hell of a week for him. Oh, and he had a really shit match with Baron Corbin apparently in the process. So yeah, what a week. Yeah, I don't. I just don't get it. Like, I, I get, I get being proud of, of of kind of being. He's like he's allegedly the guy right now. You know, while while TV ratings are tanking and mm. attendances are down and you know, things aren't look on most metrics, that things aren't go, looking good for you. But I get it. You've got to kind of pump yourself up, haven't you? But that's the big thing for me. It's the, it's the, it's the doing. Like obviously, you know, John Moxley coming out and you know doing the podcast that he did has been basically the biggest babyface in wrestling this last month or so. <laughs> And it's such a tone-deaf thing to, one, do that and go after Moxley, because pretty much everybody agrees with Moxley that he was right, but two, to do it when everyone knows that, hang on, wasn't that your best friend? It's just, there's no way Rollins is coming off well, and yeah, if he thinks he is, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's sadly mistaken. I do think, yeah, Becky Lynch needs to take him apart, JP, take him aside, JP, and uh, and just give him a talking to about uh, about how to uh, to deal with these kind of things online. Exactly. I mean, it, it, you've kind of said about how tone deaf he is. And yeah, he doesn't seem to know. It's just like, a, I don't think he, they understand wrestling fans in any way, shape or form. Mm. But he um, was one of them. And he was one well, of the kind I know. of, you know, he was he's but the it same says, as me, I think. But this is as much about him proving a point to Vince that he's the company man and he is the man. That's that, that, that's what it appears to be, and that he's part obviously of this power couple at the centre of of the company, of being built up as their their two big stars. So this is just about playing playing the ball with, uh, sorry, playing along with that. But it's really odd. It's like the natural defensive mechanism is to like try and pretend like somehow that WWE are the underdog mm. in all of this. They're about, they're about as much an underdog as Exxon are the underdogs of the oil industry. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not crazy. happening. You're not naturally sympathetic. You're not getting away with it. But instead, like you get the Vinceisms that taking his ball and going home and mm. you're sort of talking that bullshit language that appe- appeals to one person in the world. And also, if you think of it, he's saying it at a time where looking at the ratings and the attendances in and of themselves, would his reign be like worse than Diesel's at this stage? And I know it's not fair comparing eras and it's obviously an incredibly profitable company. Yeah, they're making the most money they've ever made. That's points that always got to be out there. Not that it's anything to do with yeah. Seth Rollins, but... 
But that's that that was Seth Rollins' argument. We make the most money. Mm. That's like that. That's the only thing now they can go back to. But that's completely external to what mm. goes on, you know, in terms of creative, in terms of in the rig. That's, Watch that's that a, share price yeah. if they start. If they, they things get the bad on money Fox, based on mm. TV and based mm. on the TV market and based on a country convincing themselves that possibly bringing wrestling in a ten-year deal and paying loads of money could progress and democratize Saudi Arabia further in, I don't know, the Western world's eyes, you know, that's why they're profitable. They're not mm. profitable because of any great creative or any great wrestling that goes mm. on there. And it's just an easy, it's an easy go to look money again, look at my bank account. We're prof. We're the most profitable we've ever been. Like it's an easy go to that. There's no real substance to ultimately. Mm. Like I said, think about Seth Rollins week. He's having a go at Will Ospreay. Think of some of the weeks in wrestling Will Ospreay has had this year compared to that week Seth Rollins had last week. Think of the week Will Ospreay had when he faced Shingo, Dragon Lee, mm. uh, the other great mm. matches he had during that period. It's like, yeah, you, you've got a. I've not really got a foot to stand on here, Seth, in a sort of proper wrestling fans' eyes, let's just say. Yeah, that's yeah. it. And you just... He just couldn't have come across anywhere. And I think even going with the, like, my favourite thing was when he called Osprey little guy and, the, and even Jericho jumped in and was like, ah, I think he's actually bigger than you, mate. Uh, I don't think yeah. he is, but still, I don't think there's a huge difference there. And it covered from a Seth Rollins. Just, yeah, he just needs to and give he, up. Uh, and he went on social media to criticise people for for saying stuff on social media. <laughs> I hate that. And, oh, that drives me. Oh, oh, when, when these it reminds me of that. It's people sat in their parents' basement. <sighs> When snarky like, wrestlers, like the, you see a lot of that in Britres, like a CJ Banks will yeah. come out and he'll be like, oh, you know, they, these internet fans don't understand wrestling. And it's like, you're saying what, it on the internet. It? Like, <laughs> yeah. People's ovens and fridges have got the internet now. Like your nan's got the internet. It's like, there's no such thing as the internet anymore. It's just, uh, it just, it just, it, it just expresses just, uh, you've, you've lost the argument already. Yeah, it just feels like there's a kind of bit of living in the past with that. I was going to say, not really moving forward, and not it, a lot. It's of the mid in a lot of people within wrestling's minds. It appears to be the mid '90s on a loop. Mm. <laughs> you leading somewhere else there? Uh, mate? <laughs> we'll, we'll come. We'll come to that. We'll come to that. Well, Cause, yeah, because I didn't want to tie in because, like, you talk about like the uh, you know WWE. The problem with like Rollins trying to like fight for the WWE side is they're always going to be the bad guys. And like the same thing happened this week with like Pete Dunne and Dan Maloney trying to trying to have a go at David Starr because of, of stamping on the OTT title. Like again, even even if they had a point and they haven't got a point, like they just haven't. Like there's the the, the, the whole idea of how disrespectful it is that David Starr stomped on the OTT title. Sorry, on the, uh, the NXT WWE, title. yeah, yeah, on the NXT yeah. UK title in his OTT match with with Walter is like this hugely disrespect. It's just like, oh, I mean, when people say, oh, the wrestlers are the biggest marks, I mean, I don't tend to use that word, but fuck me, like that entire situation. And again, <laughs> like I don't, Dan Maloney and Pete Dunne have got to know they're going to cut you. You couldn't, have, there's nothing more uncool than coming out and trying to defend the sanctity of world wrestling entertainment. Like it's just yeah. it's like, oh, I just don't think it's just been such a bad week. For, for those kind of guys, and yeah, uh, especially, you know, a Dan Maloney and a Pete Dunn. I think, I honestly think those are both works, though. I think mm. Dan Maloney saw an opportunity to get himself a match mm. with David Starr in either Progress or 
possibly an OTT or possibly Fight Club Pro. And I think that's why he did it. I think Pete Dunne, to some degree, can still work. The odd indie, I think he was in a six-man, wasn't he, on the last Stadium OTT show as well? Was that right? I'm sure he was. Yeah, there was. Yeah, so you could Against do, Kings of the North. You know, that Star is independent. Star's not attached to anyone. There's a chance Pete Dunne and Star could happen, possibly. Oh. So I think there's a bit of a work going on here. I think there's, I don't know dynamics in play that are sort of thinking, ah, oh, there could be a little bit of money here, possibly. Mm. I'm not necessarily buying it, all of that as um, legit. I'm buying it as try to put some attention on yourself, possibly try to get somewhere with a view to a match at some point. Who knows? Yeah, I Seems don't see it. I, I, to be honest, like from the bits and pieces I've heard and from like the, the wrestlers I've spoken to, I've I, like... Somebody I spoke to was saying that like Regal himself is genuinely upset that David Starr and Walter did that in the match, and that the the beef comes from them not clearing it with WWE first, and like then the, and that Pete Dunn has some kind of outstanding because he put he said something about like he's not anti contract, he's not anti independent, but he is anti David Starr. For me, I don't think there is a match there. I don't think that's what it is. Okay. I do I do genuinely think it's from again from speaking to to people who share the opinion. It's just again, wrestlers getting worked by. It's a it's a really good storyline and the, and the spot made sense for the match, but I do genuine. I mean, it it, it sounds ridiculous and I can see why you'd say yeah, it must be a work because how are wrestlers getting wound up about as uh, Vince Russo once famously said is is basically a prop. <laughs> Uh, that clip of him with uh, with Mike Tanay and TNA, I don't know if you saw it, JP, is the best, one of the best clips ever where, where Mike Tanay is trying to uh, yeah, drag him over the coals for the, his treatment of the WCW title and Russo's just going, what, the prop? The prop? Like, it's so good. Like, I, I, I've just, I just get that in my head when wrestlers get really wound up and it does, it feels to me, maybe I'll get proven wrong and, you know, they do capitalise it on doing a, do a match somewhere, but the bits and pieces I heard was that it was going to, it might be, good. It, you know, stars are, a dirty word in there in those NXT UK circles now, uh, all because of yeah, just some. He did a really he did a spot in a match that's got him over as the probably the biggest babyface in the world for certain subset of fans, the subset that we pretty much belong to, uh, mm. and yet and all these wrestlers are coming out and just making themselves look daft and and you know if it is true, you know the likes of a Regal or other people backstage at NXT UK being gotten to about it, just yeah, just embarrassing all in all. Yeah, I think you said it, it's just the idea of defending the sanctity of world wrestling entertainment <laughs> and their titles. And also, when you see the spot in the match, it's not like there's some big stamp, no. like he was trying to damage it. I think Naito did much more damage to the IWGP titles. Pete Dunne used to stamp on the progress belt, you know what I mean? Walter? Yeah. Stamp, you know, they were, he was working an angle, mate. Oh, yeah, think, yeah. yeah. With a story, with a mate, and there was a, yeah, there was a big payoff for that, wasn't it? Remember that big payoff of, of Pete Dunne when he just kind of just came out and he was a babyface again? Big payoff, that. Yeah, they turned up at the Queen Vic a day after a massive riot, and it was all good again. That's, that's essentially <laughs> I, what they're saying. I think the tragedy of, of when you see this is you think of how much Pete Dunne did for British independent wrestling and the things the things he's been able to do and the kind of general rise and a lot of the talent around that time in terms of things like Attack, but also, like by all accounts, arranging bookings for wrestlers. To be at the stage where it is 
you know, you're, you're shilling for a large corporate company at the but end of also, the day. It's also being ignorant to looking at David Starr <clears throat> has seen an opportunity. Mm. He's taken that opportunity. He's fully as all ex- good wrestlers should yeah, do. He's fully exploited that opportunity. He's mm. got himself ever further with that opportunity. He also is fully engaged and understands that the non WWE fans worldwide, especially in the UK right now, and he's seen an opportunity to further that. Like, should we not be praising the guy for being a smart guy and mm. being intelligent and being in touch with his fan base mm. and knowing what to do to get over further? Mm. Like, isn't this all like kind of wrestling that's, smart? And that's the bit. That's a bit that rest like Pete Dunne and that are taking exception to though, because they're kind of say their point of view is that he's got this real life independent thing that he's trying to flog t-shirts with, and he's and he has blurred those lines with the with the storyline stuff and made those NXT UK guys, essentially the bad guys. That seems to be like what the, it doesn't yeah. really make sense. I mean, again, get over it. You know, wrestling's a work. Uh, I think yeah. that's the nugget of, of kind of where the, some of the hatred's coming from. Look, they decided to sign up for, I don't know, this sub branch of Exxon in you know some oil I don't ring blame them for offshore, it offshore and I don't blame yeah I don't for blame the individuals them. yeah the individual yeah. 30 people who've got these contracts yeah. and the other wrestlers who are chasing the, the rest of it yeah. yeah but at the same time I think that they're painfully aware of how uncool that brand is mm. and how little effort that you know two years. yeah the big company yeah. put into that brand and they realise that they're not coming across in the way that they did previously, possibly in the UK, and they're not getting maybe the attention, the response they did previously. I wonder if it's a little bit of some sort of professional jealousy to mm. some degree. You know, you've also got Pete Dunne and Mark Andrews of that um, defending the wrestling brand as well. Uh, it all just seems a bit fishy. It all just seems very, very petty. The thing I also love about it is how little of a fuck Walter clearly gives about <laughs> yes. the UK yeah. and how he's clearly going to take the money and run. <laughs> he's got like 100 grand, apparently. I heard that this weekend. Yeah, and he'll go and live comfortably in Germany. What, has that been rumoured he'll do that? What? That he won't, because he's got a short-term deal, isn't yeah, he? I, th- I think that's what he, literally what he's doing. That's just from the outside. I think I agree with you, Joe. Yeah, he's just going to take the money for a year and then piss off and go and do his yeah. own thing again. It's a footballer going to China. <laughs> That's what it is. You're going there getting, like, it's Graziano Pele going, well, I'd be he a loser. too early. We could have had him for another season. Yeah. Mm. But going there and becoming the fourth highest, going from Southampton to becoming, yeah. like, the fourth highest paid player in yeah. the world. Yeah. And you just go, I'll do that, and I'll live there for a bit. <laughs> and But he's also managed not to have to move to Florida or you know well he's got the sweetest deal he clearly he's not Mm. invested I think Walter's a smart guy there's an outside perspective as well he's still working on the outside as well he gets I think he gets the fans again as well good on him he's not Mm. buried his head in this WWE sand that Sony Mm. will see do and I think so many people who bury their head in that sense seem so determined to impress their employers for the opportunity of grabbing the brass ring and it's all a bit tragic to be honest I get that from an individual basis you know that you know for the for wrestlers in this country where it's kind of like there haven't been you know attainable goals in NXT Mm. because that's the other thing I kind of one thing I heard another pushback point was well David Starr doing this is great for David Starr because you know, it's David Starr, and I think he does rub a lot of people up the wrong way. I love him, but it's it's a great thing for David Starr. But him doing this, if it means, you know, him and Walter doing this, doing this spot, if it means WWE start 
cracking down even more on letting their guys work these kind of shows. It's good for David Starr, but is it, it's bad for the scene in general. But then again, I'm not even sure if I agree at this point. Nah, It'd be nah, bad nah, for that, the scene in general nah, nah, if they just they pulled the guys the they sign the contracts with the evil empire. Mm. The evil empire will do what they want, mm. and the evil empire look after number one. Yeah. They don't really look after the wrestlers. See the John Oliver segment, okay? It's on them. Mm. Like this is that's a ridiculous way to view this. It's mm. on them for signing those contracts mm. in the first place. And in w- on WWE, after that thin skin that they they pull all their guys now because of an innocuous spot in a match. Yeah, this is scapegoating. Oh, they would do. This is scapegoating. You need someone to point the finger at. Let's blame immigrants and poor people. Let's blame David Starr in this case, I suppose. And look, it's a big corporation. Let's take the Daily Mail. Immigrants and poor people, they're to blame for all our ills, aren't they? Okay, (laughs) let's blame David Starr, who's promoting independence. It's not the giant corporation at all. Trying to buy, you know, who's got deals to buy up companies and can potentially close them down in a heartbeat. Vince McMahon is the Paul Dacre of wrestling. Paul Dacre is the former editor of the Daily Mail, in case anyone doesn't know. Hey, Murdoch. Yeah, Murdoch's more appropriate because I used the mail, I used Dacre. Yeah. <laughs> Both horrible people. Uh, but, I mean, one thing we, we can all agree on, though, Joe, is that it was a great match. You know, Walter Starr, very good. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I did, I did. That is another bit of feedback we got. People checking and grappling. Uh, seeing. I think, JP, you filled in for me on uh, on post this week on British Wrestling Experience mm. and you were raving about the match and, you know, James he was and a lot of the... Basically, everyone who was there live, like there was a point on grapple where it had like a solid five stars or there or thereabouts because pretty much everyone who saw it live was coming out and rating it five stars on grapple. Uh, I, I'm going with 4.5 myself. I think you went with 4.75, JP. Um, I went back. I, I went with four point five in the end. Almost felt like slightly yeah. cool in the head. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, but yeah, Joe, we had the we've had some 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 people what who, who saw in the app. He gave it three stars. Who were who were best uh, best impressed or, or or really just wanted to know what your thoughts were on that. Who are these bloody spies? <laughs> <laughs> Look at me, you're a, you're a subject of interest now. You're a person exactly. of interest. You're a, See, you're not on Twitter. Creeping, That's like, why. creeping on my ratings, like you know. <laughs> they want to see, you know. First, the Dave Meltzer ratings, and have a Joe Lennon ratings. <laughs> <laughs> That's the next thing you go for. I mean, I loved it. I've got to say, like, I know I, I, I'm with you, JP. I, I wouldn't go five. I think there's definitely always going to be an element of live bias. I think if it was there in the building, maybe, maybe yeah. I could, I could see going five. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I kind of, I loved them. It was a heel versus heel match, so I had no problem with Star kind of acknowledging the cheers he was getting and essentially, essentially being the antagonist. Uh, well, not really, be basically the protagonist in the match by the end of it. Um, I enjoyed, like I say, the, the belt stomp. I enjoyed the you know that leading to Walter snapping and and basically killing him. I, I love the spot of Walter kicking out of the uh, the invisible pit, the uh, the visible pin. Uh, not even letting David Star get back. Um, start trying to win by that Eddie Guerrero DQ. There were a lot of shenanigans. I don't know if that kind of paid into kind of what you were thinking, uh, Joe. I, but I enjoyed that. I enjoyed Devlin essentially being the the NXT UK narc who got in there and uh, and called the referee's attention to the fact that there was a that he, that Star shouldn't win by DQ. Um, <laughs> and I love kind of Walter escaping last minute with the choke again, similar to as we've seen him do recently in, in WXW, kind of desperation beat star at this point i really enjoyed the story they told in the match um and i know you were kind of on that that same wave of, of, of thinking jp yeah yeah i was um i think and, and rather than say repeating the whole review i did from um 
BWE. I just sort of felt there was like all of these kind of this flow throughout the match where there was real transitions built around. Like there'd be like a spot that would happen and then that would transition into a certain part of the match. So mm. the first time when Walt tries to throw the kick and Star throws his leg into the post and it's like that is the cue then for for him to go um and start beating down on it on his legs and ends up doing the um uh so it kind of showed up the sort of opportunistic side because it you know the storyline going in is he hasn't beaten him 25 times how does he do it on match 26 mm. and it it kind of led you down the path of thinking that this was going to happen and the way that they did it and the callbacks to some of the other matches and fascinatingly how that sort of false tap ended up leading to the crowd sympathising with Star mm. from that point onwards. Whereas, you know, before that, it'd been like he'd never beaten Walter. And, yeah, I you know, and I have to say, Foxy, that bump he took into the corner from Walter's John Woo was absolutely berserk as well. So I, yeah, I really, you know, when Devlin came out, he kind of always leading for like, it was a very storyline-based match. Mm. Don't get me wrong, there's really great work in there as well. But the storyline itself completely has me cap- captivated because it's between these sort of three figures and it goes and it bleeds out into other companies as well. So there's these kind of tentacles from that. And then, I mean, even though it wasn't a, a particularly good good match, it was it was, it was was okay. The um, Like playing in, bringing in people like Sean Guinness. So there's all of this you know, stuff that I really loved about it. And then I see Joe. Yeah. So why'd you hate and, it, Joe? Yeah. <laughs> and then it's just like, did you love it? And it's like, nah. <laughs> so yeah, I was really surprised when he ended up, he said to me, yeah, three stars. Three stars. <laughs> you still liked it, didn't you? That's a, on Rotten Tomatoes. That's six out of 10. That's a, uh, that's a certified fresh. Right. Let me just preface this with, you know, uh, how I was maybe feeling when I watched it. So it's been a tough time recently at work, hasn't it, JP? Let's it has been, yeah. Yeah, been absolutely knackered. Um, and I think I watched this in completely the wrong mood. I f- was convinced I was in the right mood when I watched it. And I was watching it thinking, oh, I think this is the weakest of like these big main events. And this is the weakest Star Walter match that I've, I've seen. And I went to bed... I think I watched it just before bed. Woke mm. up the next morning, saw the new BWE episode was up, and then you guys were raving about it. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like, what? Like, what have I missed here? Like, I was really confused by it. Um, what I thought of the match was all of the component parts that were there to advance the story and were there to get to the next point worked Mm. and they were there and they were successfully executed but i was kind of bored between those points of the match like i didn't buy into the legwork stuff at all i really Mm -hmm. am not a fan of matches where walter is the bigger guy but he's getting beat down for most of the match by a smaller guy Mm. i don't know i think that's just something i'm not into and that started happening and it maybe took me out of the match a little bit and i was very tired anyway so maybe wasn't following the kind of story or the beats of the match and the way i probably should have done um yeah in between the kind of moments i was really quite bored mm. and 
uh, yeah, it just didn't really engage me. It didn't really hook me in the way that previous OTC main events have done over the last year or so. And I love Star Walter matches usually, and I wasn't getting the same kick that I usually get out of the Star Walter matches, but that may be because I had an expectation and that expectation wasn't fulfilled because it was slightly different. I noticed all the callbacks in there as well. I got what they were doing. I thought, ah, works for what it is. I like the false finish with the Eddie Guerrero um, cheating spot as well. I thought that was good. I thought that was well executed. I think one of the big problems as well, I didn't think the crowd were good. I thought the crowd were really... They weren't well mic'd. Yeah, I think I've heard that before. I've heard that, that, heard that from people there live. They were like, yeah, the VOD did not do that justice. Yeah, yeah, because I was expecting like molten heat mm. if I was, yeah and it wasn't there place wasn't think, full to be fair was it i think there was a lot of empty seats jp jamesy said it was around about a thousand or so i think the last show they'd done before that which was the star devlin mm. it, that had done about 1500 there was a yeah it, it's you, it makes you wonder I mean, it was a absolutely like was it a nice day that day? I don't know. Pretty sure it was. <laughs> could have been. Could have been awful. Who can tell? A nice day. Were you in Dublin that day? Well, no. I know there was like football on in town, like Dublin GAA and stuff. Whether or not people would be watching that, <laughs> probably not. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Any excuse to try and bring up something Irish during <laughs> the was podcast? Was Shabrock Rovers out that day? Were they? No, you see, they weren't. They were on a break at that point in time. Uh, they, you'll be pleased to know. Well, they lost to Dundalk. Oh, I want anyway. to hear on YouTube, JP, doing like your. Uh, GAA punditry. I think you'd. Uh, I think that'd be a good role for you. I don't know enough about it for me to be League able. League of Ireland football, to... though. We, me and him had a right chat and his son earlier about the, what's going on in League of Ireland at the moment. So, I think there's a League of Ireland podcast in there for you. <laughs> anyway, yes. Um, to go back, I think one of the problems that I had was. Uh, there were too many things I expected from the match, so I went in with a list of assumptions. So I think I should probably go back and watch the match again. Mm. Three of those kind of things I assume were going to be in the match. Mm. And I will give a second opinion when I get a chance to watch the match again. I was hoping to watch it again before we recorded, but I had a mad weekend and just wasn't able to fit it in. Very you roast dinner while you're watching? Uh, fuck that. <laughs> he was on one all weekend. Was I? Yeah, with the Jack and Jills and the rest of it. Yeah, all these festivals, I'm, probably. I, mate. <laughs> no, that's not you. Not even a marijuana <laughs> cigarette has passed these lips. Wow. That's a quote from Vern Schillinger in Oz. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think I can see where you're coming from, Joe. I definitely, mm-hmm. like, for me, that okay. wasn't my experience watching it. I was into it pretty much from start. I only, what, literally watched it just before we recorded um, but that can happen, can't you? Can watch. I had a little scroll through Grapple. Like you are, you are the low man. You're the lowest rated on the match. But there are other people who gave it like three point two five, and there's a couple of couple of other ratings in the threes as well. Um, I don't think it was blow away for everyone. It was mainly blow away for the people there live. Even if you know, mm. me and JP really really enjoyed it on the VOD too. Well, as a result of this, we're going to have to ostracise Joe from all future podcasts. So I'm going to Ireland, the though, dis- that's it. Now, why do you yeah. hate Ireland, Joe? Yeah. Why do I hate Ireland? And the Irish, yeah. Jesus, we're going to have some sort of, like, unionist route here. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting it to go down. Jesus. But, yeah. I mean, I'd, I loved it. I'd be, I'd be interested to see what you make yeah, when, you, it when you get a chance. I'll to. watch it again and uh, we'll discuss. But um, the thing is, I love the story. I love what Star and Walton mm. are trying to do mm. and have done over the years. And I'm majorly into both guys. And I love what OTT have done with the story. 
I think maybe it was because I watched that really dull Sean Guinness Devlin match before it as mm. well, which was seriously sending me to sleep. Sean Guinness was in a position way above his station on that mm. car, before, mm. and that story did not click at all. I, I think I get why they did the match; it was a good build as well. God, as a match, it was uh, it was dull. It was one of the it's probably the dullest Devlin match I've seen. It's probably not going to help when going into it. Mm. No. I don't think it did, and but even like the Derby Allen Scotty Davis match, I couldn't get into either. Oh, so I good things about that. Yeah, I, th- I think it was probably my I, state of mind at the time. I enjoyed that. Mm. I enjoyed that. I, I agree with the. Uh, so it's only the main event that you've seen, Benno. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Only had time for that. Um, yeah, because the the Devlin Guinness, and I really wanted to like it. I kind of, you know, it's one of these things where you two Irish lads. Oh yeah, exactly. Um, but it, it's also about where they go next after Devlin, isn't it? Because Scotty Davis would seem like a natural fit, but he is incredibly young. You are going to need people who are somewhat veterans around as well. And I look forward to getting, when I get round to it, watching the Terry Thatcher-Mark Haskins match, because I think he's a he's an interesting uh, crowd favourite. But this match, mm. for me, instead of liking the bill, I, I just kind of felt, well, they've, they've really leaped into this. And it happened on that Belfast show, which don't have the status of the big shows in Dublin. And it sort of lends itself to that sort of venue issue they have that they're not perhaps being able to capitalise on a lot of the the really good stuff that's going on because there's a lack of venues to run in. Mm. But I think um, that... I forgot the point I was going to make there for a second. I was off on one there. Sorry about that. <laughs> Completely lost my but point. But you enjoyed the JP is the main point. That's just like me, really. That's <laughs> what I do. But I was... No, that was it. But... Um, so as a match, I, I wasn't particularly a, a fan of that, but I did enjoy Davis Allen mm. and, you know, Darby Allen is, if nothing else, he's captivating to watch. Mm. You see later, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a special talent. Um, yeah. I mean, I was, again, I, I, cause I was moving and, uh, I moved my cat into the, into the new house today and she literally sat, sat there staring at me right now, looking at me like what is this place and why are we here? Mm. Uh, because I was doing that all day, I didn't have a chance to see the rest of the show. But yeah, kind of based on what you say there, it feels like it is like it's the main event you need to see and not watch else. Yeah, there's, there's a, a hopefully a point in time when when things start to get easy and you get into the summer, you always think I might be able to catch up on these matches. But the truth of the matter is the amount of shows and the amount of stuff that's coming out of VOD, it's very easy to just not see these matches and then just kind of forget about them mm. in the you know so i think of the other matches i i would recommend going out uh, to see alan versus davis and i will end up watching thatcher versus haskins because mm-hmm. james he said there was good things on that i think the rest of it would have been you know if you if you're at ott and you know obviously what for the regulars they would have really enjoyed large parts of the undercard as well but it's would add into the experience and i like the commentators as well a big big fan of the o- the OTT commentators. So they kind of make some of those weaker moments on the show that bit better. Mm. But yeah, not a bad show by any means from what I've seen of it. But, you know, we have seen them do better, but I would definitely say go out and watch the main event. Mm. Well, the other um, big story yeah, this week that we should talk about as well. Fuck, we've got a lot to talk about this week, guys. Oh. <laughs> that we haven't quite got to yet because you know we might be proven wrong tonight uh, there might be a killer episode of Raw tonight but yeah WWE uh, decided to uh, do their own version of the Premier League manager merry-go-round 
and brought back Eric Bischoff and Paul Heyman. Like, I mean, we, we're not really a WWE-centric podcast, but we fuck, maybe we've got to talk about this. Like, oh. I don't know what your reaction, Joe, was when, when the news came through, but, like, it sounded like a joke headline. Like, we, we've talked, and Joe, you've talked at length of, like, of Vince McMahon having lost it on this podcast. And if there's any proof that, like, he is just not with it at this point, him going back to the men who, you know, were creative forces in wrestling, mainly Bischoff, 20 full years ago, uh, more than 20 years ago. More, you go back yeah. to Bischoff was actually successful. <clears throat> Heyman, you know, good mind for the business. I can kind of, I can kind of see that. Mm-hmm. Fuck me. Like I, I, like, I just don't get it. That is just the... That just sums up WWE at this point. He's gone. He's he's literally Vince has had to do when he's been thinking. Oh yeah, who can take over these shows? Not Triple H, not his son-in-law, not any of like the the multitudes of people uh, they've got under contract. Different creative people backstage. No, Eric Bischoff and Paul Heyman. Fuck me. Look at the beginning of the podcast. We spoke about having a Sunday like the old days. <laughs> So having a bit of the EastEnders omnibus with a football Italia, me being punished by a roast. And I feel like Vince McMahon has well and truly taken that mantra on board of heading back to the old days. I think he walked into an Urban Outfitters, saw that everything they sell in one of them shops these days is stuff that was sold in sports shops in 1997 and thought, fuck it, you know what? What's old is new, like I said earlier. Let's go back to the 90s. Like, you know, I'm hoping we get a Blur Oasis rivalry or something. Maybe New Labour make a comeback. Things can only get better. Yeah. Perhaps that's what uh, Paul Heyman will come out on the stage to tonight, possibly. At, at a time when Aladdin, Men in Black, yeah. um, what else is out at the moment? I did see a, a, a picture of it. Uh, is it um, Child's Play? Some student came in the office last week and was wearing a pair of Adidas popper trousers. And I had a chat with her about how I was wearing them over 20 years ago. She was like, you should have kept them. You should have got, could have got Any some Any photos of you wearing those? Yeah, there are a few knocking around. A pair of Kappa popper trousers as well. <laughs> which I saw in Urban Outfitters, £90. Jesus Christ. as well, John. Say it again. I had the shorts as well. I had a pair of Kappa shorts that popped out and a pair of trackies. I thought it looked good. Oh, mate, I had the exact same shorts, navy blue. <laughs> Yes, yeah. yeah, that's the colour as well. well yeah. yeah, but look at the nostalgia we're talking about regarding the 90s right now, you know. <laughs> Perhaps Vince McMahon was having a chat about the good old days and thought, you know what, let's go back to the 90s and, yeah, this will be the solution, you know. Eric Bischoff uh, had, had some success with a major network television show quarter of a century ago. You know, maybe let's go back to the Mall of America for the relaunch of SmackDown on Fox as well. See if we can get Liger in, get Brian Pillman Jr. in as well. Perhaps, you know, we can go full Nitro nostalgia possibly as well. Yeah, what a ridiculous decision this is. I think it's utterly hilarious and it shows just again how out of touch Vince is. Time has kind of stopped Mm -hmm. in Vince's world. Like time to me seems like it stopped in Vince's world around sort of 2001-2 when he kind of built this structure around him with the writers and all the rest of it and when they did the first brand split and it feels like the last 17-18 years have just been, I don't know, like have just been one big blur in Vince's mind and mm. nothing different has happened in the world of wrestling because he's had no competition, no threat, and he has not need to change. Well, he's just... Clearly, he hasn't kept up with anything outside of WWE. No. 
And clearly he still is the all-powerful figure in that company because at the end of the day, there are lots of people who have had little successes on sort of more minor levels in wrestling during that period who could probably do some on the bigger scale given a go, but they're not guaranteed. They haven't got a track record in his mind because mm. what he knows is the 90s at this point. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It is just like mm. it is a man frozen in time. Like, I put it out there on Twitter. I was saying like it's it's a, it, it Eric Bischoff like we we met Eric Bischoff. We interviewed him like me and Gareth at uh, the full of a wrestling thing. Great bloke, great knowledge of like you know the the TV industry and you know all of that side of stuff, the business stuff. I kind of get, but like you listen to his podcast and you know like, he doesn't seem to really remember what happened in WCW. Like he'll a lot of it for me does feel like bullshit on his podcasts. Um, but he'll do like his, you know, his raw reviews, and he's got you know, some suggestions on what they, you know, improve and what they change, and they're just like, uh, yeah. I, I, but there's nothing about him that, that screams like, oh yeah, he's tuned in, he's gonna get it. Like, I, I put it out on Twitter of like, what's the, like the Premier League equivalent of this? Like Gareth himself put out that uh, he reckons that uh, that we've got like Daglish at Blackburn. It's kind of the, the similar thing here that kind of fits in. Uh, got the underdogs on top for a short time. Uh, as far as Heyman goes, uh, as far as Bischoff goes, tried to replace it with Newcastle and failed. And uh, now he's getting his Liverpool 2011 run. Uh, that's kind of what's happening here with Bischoff. Uh, I got a few. I think uh, uh, Andy Ogden gave us a Heyman as Harry Redknapp, um, kind of getting the best out of maybe a bo- broken box of toys. For me, I was going with Bischoff being Sam Allardyce, just getting a load of, like, like, I, like Andy said, the loads of. Uh, Overage kind of yeah, prima donna internationals like he did when he was in uh, in TNA and he brought back you know Hogan and brought in Jeff Hardy at a time when Jeff Hardy wasn't hitting and brought in you know as much as we love him the Rob Van Dabs of the world uh, it's exactly that isn't it but in a wrestling context it's just like it's that kind of scratch your head stuff. Well, the Ari Redknapp one's an interesting one because Ari Redknapp at QPR. That QPR side, when he was there, were like a tribute act to great sides of the last 10 years of the <laughs> Premier League. Like It was just like a who's who of names on inflated contracts. Nico who, Crunch. Yeah, and yeah, and Harry regulars who had had their day. And I think he just got Andros Townsend and on loan who had a great season and almost kept him up almost single-handedly. But yeah, some Rio Ferdinand retired there. Do you remember that? And Sean Jesus. Wright Phillips had a few last pounds there as well. Yeah. But to me, I thought to myself, when you say 90s, and then somebody made this weird comeback, Joe Kinnear. Do you remember yes. his run <laughs> yes. at Newcastle? <laughs> yes. yes. Somebody well, said this is Mike Ashley hiring Joe Kinnear and Dennis Wise. Like, that's what yeah. this is. Oh, yeah. When he called Johan Kabai, Johan Kabam on a radio show. Do you remember that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, no. Bischoff's going to come in there. He played for the Republic of Ireland. Joe Kinnear. Did he? He did. <laughs> get that in. Yeah, Bischoff's going to come in there, and I don't know whose name he's going to get wrong. Uh, I don't know. Perhaps they call Becky Lynch, Shane Lynch, or something like that. <laughs> Boy's own fan of Erd. So, that in there. yeah, it's it, that is a great comparison, the Red Net one, though. But, yeah. yeah. Any on your part, JP? I can't think up of any at the moment. Give me time. I'm trying to think of, like, sort of possibly Serie A style stuff, but. Probably still got that Maradona documentary. I'd be like getting Marcello Lippi back to manage Juventus now. He did a great job of the 90s, didn't he? Three Champions League finals in a row. Yeah, they only won one, but get him back. Why not? (laughs) Yeah. 
Uh, like getting, Italy getting Trapattoni back or something like that. Yeah, Trapattoni wasn't a successful manager when he was Italy manager, though. No, God, no, he wasn't. And look at him at Ireland. Best, yeah, don't say any more about that. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you give either of them any chance, by the way? Like, is there any chance that Henry no. and Bischoff pull this out? And again, I know Raw will happen by the time people listen to this, but I'm not, I'm not expecting big drastic changes. There'll be, there'll be elements of curiosity to it, but... Then it, mm. it doesn't seem like, and we spoke about this before, the structures that are in place don't allow the kind of massive wholesale change that mm. needs to be done. It requires a lot of people to go. And I was also thinking about this as well, is that for me, I look at this as it seems like one of those political power plays. Mm. And I wonder if the next kind of, if there was going to be a scapegoat, whether a Kevin Dunn, would be like one who would go necessarily beforehand because the look of the show is so ridiculously stale Mm. as much as anything. And those are the things I don't think they're like non-negotiables. I don't think they'll do anything about that. Mm. They're not going to change the tone and tenor of the show. It's still going to be three hours every week. Well, it's, that's it. They're still tripped. You know, they're still trapped in the idea of they have to produce five hours of television a week. Mm. It seems like Vince does this this doesn't work, and at some point they'll, you know, I imagine Bischoff will be quieter than Heyman will be, but there'll mm. come a point when Heyman will just go, this is, what's the point? Oh. Heyman and will win. Heyman, Heyman, even if it goes wrong, it won't be his fault. Like, Heyman, yeah, Heyman's, exactly. Heyman's a wise man. Do you know what I reckon with Heyman, honestly? I reckon he sees this as an opportunity that he knows probably won't work out, mm. but he'll probably get the sack mm. and he'll be let go, possibly. And when he gets let go... Who might go with him? And where's there another opportunity to negotiate more money? And if Heyman goes, he's got a hell of a lot of stories he can sell. He's still got his marketing company all the rest of it. Mm. And this could be another way of, I don't know, negotiating his way into AEW long-term, I wonder. I don't think they'd go... No, I don't think they'd either, near he's got a chance. Which is kind of at the at the heart of this. They've, they've got, I think it was Dave Meltzer was bringing up the idea that they've got Gabe Sapolsky. Um, they've got, I don't know... He wouldn't be necessarily someone I'd put in as like our man Glenn Joseph. Yeah, he's oh. there as well. Yeah, oh. it could be worse. Everyone, <laughs> I mean, I love the voice. I, I've got to say, We'd I love the voice of the wrestling podcast. Thousand, then wouldn't we? Oh. I love Blair. the voice of the wrestling podcast, but they were literally like flogging that this week, kind of saying that you know you got the likes of Jim Smallman and Glenn Joseph there. Um, yeah, I don't think I don't know if they're they're better options really. Uh, as good mm-hmm. as progress was once once upon a time. That, I mean, the idea being, though, they still have people who have got mm. much more of a kind of current pulse. Just in general, yeah. on Zeitgeist, what mm. audience is like, mm. you yeah. know. Someone and under the age of 50. And that's it. And, and Vince isn't going to see that. In touch, though. I do think Heyman. Oh, I think Heyman, Heyman will have Gabe as like his second. I could see, remember when he was going to go into TNA and he was going to take over and he made all these demands of like he wanted Gabe and he wanted like all the old guys firing. I think we meet. Maybe we get that. But even then, like, again, I just think you can't win. There's no way. Like, even I wish Heyman got smacked down because I'll have a bit of faith. I've got no faith in Bischoff turning SmackDown around, but I could believe <laughs> Heyman, he could do a miracle like he did in the early 2000s with the original brand split. Uh, but no matter how good it is and no matter, yeah, even if Heyman has got his finger at the pulse, it's still a three-hour raw and it's just, you're still answering to Vince McMahon. Yeah. I was I was gonna say that there is there's two things that I'd be very interested to see if they happen. Because if one of Heyman or Bischoff went, you know who could end up getting one of those top creative jobs? 
Jeff Jarrett. Oh, yeah. I now, thought Russo was next, but actually Jarrett. Yeah, that makes more sense. Oh, the next and number. Somebody else oh, who tried Dixie to take Carter. <laughs> Jarrett and Dixie. Oh, yes. Would Russo. Uh, this is what I want. Now, Russo, Russo's never get a job back there, but Jarrett, oh, I'd love to see that. I don't know. Not because I'm like, I'd be like, yes, I've got to watch this, but hilarious. <laughs> it, it would be. Jarrett turns up on Raw in a Tranmere Rovers shirt. Yes, please. <laughs> I'd be watching. <laughs> I don't oh, think I'd sit through three hours. No, but I just watched the Jarrett bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there was another point I was uh, uh, going to raise about... Um... The thing is, in 2002, Sorry. when Heyman was on SmackDown, this, this structure that is in place now had sort of just been born. Hmm. So it feels like there was still a little bit of flexibility there, and he very much put his fingerprints all over that show. And that show was class at the sort of tail end of 2002, when you had all the SmackDown 6 stuff, the quality matches on TV. Hmm. He got Benoit and Angle over as a tag team. He allowed Edge to get over properly as a single for the first time. Mysterio managed to somehow get a push and be in there with kind of the heavyweight guys, but I'm sure Vince wasn't too happy about that. Got Eddie Guerrero over as well for the first time, really, as a legitimate threat in WWE. So, yeah, he put his fingerprints well and truly on that brand at that point. But I think now it's just a closed shop. Mm. I just can't... No one has managed Mm. to break through the Vince-based, stubborn, alpha male ceiling in a long time. And those that he has wanted to... When was the last time they worked? Strowman worked to some extent, and then they fucked that up. So, really, who has worked in the last five years? It's it's still like I mean, if if we think of you know the the last uh, pay per view was headlined with Baron Corbin, it still suggests that what does he go back to ultimately? Big big tall people. Mm. That's that's fundamentally where well, he's at, and he's changed creative. It's WCW and ECW. But his view of the world is so narrow. It's he, a, like yeah. he thinks that like women think Corbin's fit. <laughs> uh, when I when I was in New Orleans with my girlfriend, we saw Baron Corbin. So I was at a hotel. I was like, oh, there's Baron Corbin. She said he was fucking ugly. There you go. <laughs> she hasn't seen him with his top off though, with his kind of you know smiley face belly. You know, she might be. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, I'm not saying she's well. She chose me, so she's not you know the best judge when it comes to the, the rest of it in character. Clearly, because what a burden I've been for the last five and a half years. But yeah, at the same time, Baron Corbin. Like, look at the guy. Look at what the fuck he wears. I think Joe Lanza said this week that he looks like a guy who's parking cars outside a strip club. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's an amazing analogy for Baron Corbin right there. Mm. He just looks like one of those guys who was a massive jock at high school, got some sort of scholarship, didn't get anywhere with it, and ended up trying to be the jock of the local town for the next... He's like Biff Tannen in Back to the Future, basically. <laughs> that's who he is. Oh, God. And George McFly should be the man getting a push, not Biff. And he struggled against the greatest wrestler in the world as well, didn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Poor uh, Seth. <laughs> but yeah, I think it, I, I just think, yeah. I, I mean, we record every Monday night, guys. So if WB does turn out to be good, we might have to switch our recording day. But I can't see it happening anytime soon. I, I won't no. start watching it. Look, I'm <laughs> so past the point where I'm ever going to watch Raw. What if What if Smackdown Glenn Joseph, Jim Smallman, and John Briley take over, Joe? And it it turns it turns into progress on uh, Monday Night Progress. Look, into that. Jim Smallman is going to struggle having seven thousand new best friends in a new town every week. Like, <laughs> fuck me. I'd, I'd feel sorry for the bloke. He'd be overwhelmed with that. Um, <laughs> 
unless Briley was in an on-screen role telling people off from his uh, ivory tower in each <laughs> in each venue they ran, I ain't watching. Like I just nah, I, I I'm so out of that loop yeah. and I don't miss it one bit. Mm. Um, if I missed it and I had a desire to watch WWE again, cool. I'd be willing to embrace it. But I'm so far gone on that product, the whole Monday night. And, you know, I never watch it on mm. Monday night. I watch it on a Tuesday. But my Tuesdays yeah. are quite nice not having to watch that anymore. It, I was going to mention there was a great article on Voice of Wrestling from Garrett Kidney, which was about let 1999 die. <laughs> yeah. You know, and we, God, a lot of our, Stick is effectively, you know, we're nostalgic yeah, we probably the, shouldn't the, the 90s and the 2000s. But we are willing I don't to accept. bring it back. I don't, yeah, I'm not trying to actively sure? time travel back Mate, to that I'm time period. I'm not wearing period. Kappa Popper trousers. <laughs> yes. Why not? You are. <laughs> <laughs> I can see JP wearing them. You can pull them off, JP. No. <laughs> no, I, no. Should we go buy you some? No. If I you can waste your, your money. If I do one of your roasts, you got to wear some Kappa Popper. <laughs> I just, I'm not like it again. It's me being effectively punished. You don't like Fred Durst. <laughs> what? Fred Durst put in like a farmer cap here yeah. instead of his red baseball cap. <sighs> Back to Garrett Kidney. Um, <laughs> the the <laughs> the article itself it kind of hit the nail on the head, which is you know you're talking about where where Vince is, where the company is. It's 20 years behind, and time has moved on. And they've actually ended up, through all of this stuff we mentioned with Seth, we mentioned about these changes, giving AEW a lot more credibility from the get-go than they ever did. So we're going to talk about a good show from AEW, but my God, compared to like WWE standards, you know, hmm. fucking super dream slam this, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is what it is. Yeah. And, it's, and they brought this entirely upon themselves mm. and the bullshit arguments that we've heard for a long time. So the WCW narrative, which mm. has nothing to do with w Nitro actually for a while putting on a really interesting product, particularly on the undercard. It's all about you stole our big stars. That's why you're <laughs> They're trying to take our jobs. Exactly. That's, that's the Gerald Briscoe line, isn't it? Exactly. Whilst also appearing to have complete amnesia about the other time period they love, the 80s, yeah. and all the Ooh. shine that Vince was pulling Ooh. there. This kind of stuff is a long time coming. And yeah. again, always wary about this, but something I keep on banging the, dr the drum on uh, here is I think the Fox thing, I'd be, if it, it's six months into that Fox deal, where the potential of where they could end up being, it could be embarrassing. Hmm. And it's, it's what they brought upon themselves because the moment that those two companies left, he apparently just sort of entered into a, some sort of cryogenic freeze like fucking Walt Disney and just decided that we're living in this. Yeah. He's and as evil as Walt Disney as well. Well, yeah, exactly. Like Austin Powers being woken up and, you know, he gets frozen. I mean, he's got to catch up with the like, 30 years of history. Yeah. Vince needs to catch up with the last 18 years. <laughs> he's got fucking clue what's going on since i don't know wrestlemania 17 let's be honest I, I do like that he's panicking though and that he's doing things like i like the fact that we feel like we're in a bit of a wrestling war now you know he's although you know it's a bit of a, a lukewarm wrestling war and then bringing back mm -hmm. bischoff and Heyman and scheduling evolve of all things against aew oh, uh, but at least yeah. we can tell the paranoids that's brilliant isn't it like fuck me the the two people who watch evolve are gonna have a really tough decision come uh, fight for the falling 
and NXT UK as well. Just furthers, furthers a narrative of coincidence, doesn't it? It is. Yeah. Well, they 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 plan these dates for for months, hadn't they? For <laughs> well, Evolve to be on the network. Clearly, that tenth anniversary show. They'd been waiting out for that tenth anniversary. Even ten years, didn't they? Didn't they launch in two thousand? In two thousand. Well, if there's one thing about Vince, he's hardcore Evolve. He's like, no, we're gonna do. <laughs> We're not going to disrespect Evolve by running before the 10th anniversary. Uh, the 10th anniversary you've got to be on. He was there at Evolve 1. <laughs> Beyond the curtain. Beyond the curtain yeah. looking at, oh, yeah. yeah. Gabe's like, flogged them the like same Like Seth numbers. Rollins at Bowler in 2018, wasn't it? And he was behind the curtain. <laughs> yeah. Gabe's well flogged them the same numbers he gave Flow Slam. You know, Flow Slam are trying to sue exactly. him because he gave him all those fake pay-per-view numbers. Like, how he's convinced of the be that Evolve is even a thing. Uh, especially now, now that, like, it's basically NXT, like, Z brand, uh, whatever the hell it is at this point, uh, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it's it is hilarious. Like the problem is, I'm gonna have to watch. I'm not gonna watch it live, obviously, but I'm gonna have to have a look at it because I'm just fascinated to see what Evolve looks like of a WWE network <laughs> and with WWE fingerprints over it. Mm. And it's an independent show on the WWE network. Progress are they gonna are they gonna put their I don't know fingerprints all over this and have to get involved in the writing process well, and the booking process i'm fascinated to see it in a weird way as i said it a couple of weeks ago my son was when he was playing 2k19 and like everything the wwe got bored of it after a while but one of the things you have to start off on is in bcw of this independent company and it, it i'm not saying this necessarily reflects on them but what their view of what independent wrestling is mm. is like what their view of ECW was bingo when, halls yeah it's just like it's oh just it's just bloods and guts the, and violence is it and, bingo championship wrestling uh, there's uh, points that having f- outside are uh, they invade NX it's just an awful awful storyline mm. like in every way shape or form but they don't get any aspect of independent wrestling they view independent wrestling as this leech on what they do and stealing their money because they are they still think they are wrestling. Well, clearly, if they own all of wrestling, we're just gonna ha- we've got no option. We're gonna go to their wrestling, aren't we? It, you know, what? look at those WCW fans. You just stop watching WCW. Yeah. Stop watching wrestling when WCW went. They never think about that, do they? Yeah. I think they've convinced themselves that they all just leaped over the. Well, the problem was them, products. wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because they're old southerners. They didn't want them watching the product anyway. Yeah. Wrestling. Exactly. Yeah, well, that's the that's the kind of they're the people AEW can uh, can go after uh, and kind Oops. of bring that back. WWE, and, oh, sorry, no go. Now I was gonna say for the first time they can fucking earn the right for people to like to get to gain their business. Mm. There was a point in time I was being quite enthusiastic about going to a WrestleMania. I can't think of anything worse than giving that shower money. <laughs> really can't. Like in, in some ways they need a massive kick up the arse yeah, like i've said a million but, times the only way this is ever going to happen is yeah what i'm not allowed to say and we all know what i'm not allowed to say yeah yeah <laughs> <R-I-D>. <laughs> uh, well until that day like i say we've got at least we've got AEW guys and we can be we can talk about their show and be really positive about them i think maybe uh obviously fight a fest happened this weekend as well uh, busy fucking weekend. I was at a, a Red Pro Manchester that day as well, which I'll I'll talk about in a minute. But uh, I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know your opinion on it. But to, uh, for all the negative we say about WWE, obviously AEW is uh, the alternative. Uh, I don't know. Do you feel more positive on them after this show? The same amount that you felt coming out? Uh, I've got to be honest. I don't know. I know you caught up on it today, Joe. Did you mm-hmm. watch the the pre-show? Because I was watching the AW pre-show and thinking, shit, even Big Tone can't save us here. Because 
My God, did he, they not learn any lessons from uh, from the first show? Well, just uh, before Joe <laughs> kicks off about the uh, the uh, the oh, pre-show, because I he hadn't actually seen it before today. I made him watch it at yes, work. You, you um, need it for context. So, yes, exactly. Um, for that, you asked the question at the start about whether or not it was um, whether or not I feel the same, feel less, or feel more about them. Overall, probably about the same. I don't think I had particularly high expectations of this show. It still felt much more like a sort of curiosity buy Mm -hmm. as anything for me um, for it. We can safely say this, and we're better off just going into the pre-show, as you mentioned. Like, I don't think they know what a pre-show is intended for. Yeah. Like, first time round, I could go all right, it might have been a screw-up on the night. Second time around, almost identical mistakes to a certain degree. Mm. Uh, Except this time they had two matches that were fucking terrible. Oh, my God. Like, I mean, you'd think, okay, maybe they want to carry on with the Dark Order stuff, like they're thinking, ah, you know, the whole thing with, you know, the Super Smash Brothers, you know, maybe it'll catch on eventually. I can kind of get the thinking behind that, but somebody somewhere, and I'm looking at Big Tone as much as we love him, like mm. somebody needs to be pulling the plug on the librarian shite. I mean, like somebody, it's so obviously not working. It so obviously didn't work the first show. Like Z-level comedy shite. I mean, I said it on the last time we recorded, you know, even like the, the Fighter Fest stuff, like the fact that like, I think it made it worse that in between these really bad matches and segments and it's really bad, you know, sub being the elite level comedy that doesn't even work on that show, never mind, like on a, on a proper show. They're doing like, you know, I'd say six month old Firefest jokes, but the actual festival was two years ago. So we're making crappy jokes backstage about like a, a two year old subject. Like, bad. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't make me like I. The actual pay-per-view itself was solid. Like, I, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I thought it was solid. I expect them to continue putting on good to great big shows. But I tell you what, Joe, this pre-show made me genuinely worried about the TV. If they, if this is their creative, if it just feels like goofy, young books, somewhat Kenny Omega kind of bullshit that works on being the elite. If they think it's acceptable to throw it on the pre-show, it really worries me about what they think will be acceptable to throw on the TV. Yeah, point well made. Um, hopefully not this rubbish. Like, <laughs> I just don't understand. that. So on their second show, they're trying to parody a documentary that, yeah, quite a few people saw, but not everyone saw this documentary. This isn't in, like, the zeitgeist in the way that, say... Let's think of like a major event or a major TV show. Ah, let me think of it. I use the example of JP earlier of if this was 10 years ago and you used American Idol, let's say, mm. or over here you used like The X Factor or Strictly Come Dancing, like mm. TV shows that everyone knows and that are on for a regular amount of time and that work in seasons. This was one documentary distributed on Netflix. <laughs> The Netflix cycle often seems to come and go very, very quickly, mm. okay? When there's a new series of Black Mirror, people go mad about it, okay? And then after a while... How much do you hear about Bird Box, Benno? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you hear about that for like a month, and then it wears up. Mm. This documentary 
is exactly the same. And the attempts to satirize and parody this documentary, they made no sense in the context of what they were trying to achieve with this show. Well, we've run out of money. We can't book Blink-182. Like, there was like no laughs no. when they were doing this stuff. Like it was really bad and mm-hmm. really kind of like, it made me feel like they thought that they were really like up to date with like what people are watching and what people are talking about. And they were kind of quite far off to be honest, because mm-hmm. yeah, I said the other week, I, I've seen this documentary. I thought it was shite. I forgot about it the next day. And mm-hmm. he thought about it and you brought it up on this documentary several months later. I just feel like they need to be thinking about stuff that is in regular circulation and is very much implanted and embedded in the public zeitgeist if they're going to Paris. I mean, I use the example of JP. Think about when they were doing like guest hosts on Raw mm. and they did that episode where they did um, the American version of Family Fortunes. Um, what's it called? Family Feud. Yeah, Bob Barker. Bob, Bob Barker. And that was great because everyone knows the format. It's existed for years, right? Family Fortunes has existed since I was born, right? <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't go out my way to watch Family Fortunes, but I've seen a hell of a lot of Family Fortunes, right? If something parodies Family Fortunes, I know what it is. If something parodies a documentary that was a one-off distributed on an online platform a few months ago, pfft, like, think about what you're parodying here. Mm. Yeah, uh, that was my... Like, I've heard from people who are like, oh, no, I, I, I found it quite funny. I thought it was a cool pun. Like, even if you find it funny, though, like you say, Joe... It's not the movie maker, your second big show when all the eyes of the world mm. on you. When it's the free one as well, that, well, free in the US, uh, that people are going to be probably going to be watching in bigger numbers, even if it is, you know, it's supposed to be like an in your house kind of B pay per view. It just gives the worst impression of your promotion. Like, I'm no. I'm no Jim Cornette. Well, I am a Jim Cornette fan. I do enjoy his rants, but like it just just gives the likes of him just ammo, doesn't it? To kind of say, this lot don't know what they're doing. And like, you know, to jump into the main show as well, because I think it ties in. Uh, Maybe we won't go match by match, but let's pick out like the the, the important talking points. You know, it worries me creatively about some of these guys getting reined in because like the show closing, like remember the the, the show closing angle at Double or Nothing is the big John Moxley running. You get the big, uh, what it's not dirty deeds now. What does he call his big move? Uh, he's got a couple the of the paradigm shift. That's it. That's what it's called it. over in the US. Yeah, yeah. You know, he does that. And it's a big impactful moment. And then on this show, we get the reverse of it. And you know, Kenny Omega's like playing drums on him, and you know, playing guitars and doing his kind of goofy Kenny Omega comedy. And that really set badly with him as well. It just it worried me about like. I think these guys have obviously got the finger compared to WWE, you know, they got the finger on the pulse of what fans want from a from a wrestling point of view. Um, but yeah, some of the tone of this stuff, like big tone, needs to needs to step it step in. And if it has to be, you know, boring boots and trunks, evolve Wim Ross records type wrestling, I think I'd take that over. Like some of the some of the really worrying for me creative direction that we kind of saw on this show. I think part of the issue is, and you mentioned about the sort of creative direction is. You, who is the to a degree you do need like a singular vision or a singular force that ultimately can kind of make some decisions because otherwise then you are booking by committee but except there isn't really a head writer Mm. and if and if tony khan's making the decisions from a creative perspective 
you know, I'm sure he read every one of those Wrestling Observer newsletters back to back, but I don't know if that means that that's going to suddenly make him a great booker. Um, so it, 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 you do wonder about, like, the tonal shifts are really strange mm. on this show. Like, we're talking about yeah, all the different all types place. of matches. It is all over the place. And to a degree, these shows are going to have these kind of problems. To a certain extent, I, ex- I expected there to be issues. And I was like, okay, what sort of stuff are they going to be able to improve upon? And I think there were some improved aspects of production. And I certainly think the commentator, well, both of them, but certainly Golden Boy, my mm. God. Like, at least you knew he was there, <laughs> as opposed to Marvez coming in with some weird story about Hiro Hase being in the... Uh, Japanese Parliament or other. Oh, was he other... there this week? Mar- this show, Marvez didn't even notice. Yes. <laughs> he could well have been. Just sat, sat there, sat there by the side with a smile on his face, sweating his ass. And he shit. should, by all rights, be sort of like you know. You think of his background; he should be this great commentator. Whereas this other guy, Golden Boy, I thought did did pretty well. Mm. But as a show, yeah, there needs to be some sort of singular vision about how serious this is. Because otherwise, you're going down a raw path where you've got these, biz- like, you've just got comedy, which makes, it's the kind of stuff that if a non-wrestling fan sees, and I've seen a lot of people talking about it, like with the librarian stuff, you'd just be like, I'm really sorry, I'm embarrassed, because you probably think, I assume oh. that this is funny. Mm. And that's what the librarian stuff feels like. It's like the worst kind of reminders that we would have of when people would see wrestling and they go, it's stuff you like. JP, this happened today, mate. Uh, we were at work mm. and I, I started the show like <laughs> oh late last night. A yeah, I was saying mad, about you. Yeah. Mad weekend. Uh, and I told JP, I hadn't seen the pre-show, so he was like, all right, we're going to do a arbitrary crappy admin task we had to do and I'm going to put it on the big screen and you're going to watch the pre-show. I was like, all right, good tag match, shite angle afterwards as we discussed. Um, and then during the librarian match, one of the guys who me and JP know very well, um, he he is a lot about wrestling, a hell of a lot about wrestling. He walked into the room and I was like, for fuck's sake, oh, like, no. you come in with anything else. <laughs> yeah. Best he, of the super juniors? Nowhere around. He saw this awful librarian stuff and just looked a bit confused and a bit lost. And I we did explain to him that he has walked in at the worst possible time. I compared it to, I don't know, my dad walking in while uh, JBL was electrocuting John Cena's balls <laughs> <laughs> well, while he was in a forklift once. Yeah, that sort of crap. Like, or the, the Mark Henry and May Young in the hand and a parent walking in, that sort of rubbish. It, yeah, yeah, it was embarrassing. And luckily gone by the time the Michael Nakazawa and this oh, other person had begun. What's that doing on your show? Alex, that should just been pure dark match because the crowd seemed to oh, yeah. kind of enjoy it hmm. because they were catering to that audience. Fair enough, but dark match. Don't it, put this out to anyone else other than that crowd. It's, it's the classic kind of match of you know those matches that WWE and TNA would do where they get a local DJ in and they get involved in a mixed tag match in order to promote the show, but they don't put it on the fucking pay per view. What? Oh, you're not aware of that, that they would do no. that? Okay, so they would, quite often, there like, would be... Like Pac-Man Jones? 
Well, it would be more like Bud the Love Sponge type oh, spots. Oh, right. Oh, of yeah. course you know about that. <laughs> no, I don't know about <laughs> Heather what Clem. What the fuck is that assumption about? <laughs> you Lying seen the video. bastard. I have never seen that video. Um, but... <laughs> I don't know where, where do I how do I bring it back from there? But like bringing in the local DJ for it, it's not the kind of thing that is meant for television. Mm. It was there because the, to appeal to that casual fan audience. Can I just stop? Did Bubba the Love Sponge wrestle in TNA in a dark match? Possibly, I could be easily getting this confused. <laughs> okay, but there were those types of things like man cow and stuff like that they would have. You're saying this like I'm just fucking pulling this out of my ass. I'm sure this stuff actually happens. We need to get your subscription to the uh, the Impact on Demand service here, Jason. Well, get send us a free one, and I might catch up on it. And also, <laughs> Mongo McMichael is a referee. Still need to see that as well. I haven't gone through that TNA list this week. I'll leave it till next week. <laughs> we love JP's lists. Oh, yeah. I'm just looking at a bubble of love sprungs. It's cage match uh, database. There are a yep. few matches here, but not. I don't think there's any in TNA. There's a WCW oh. match. Him and Jim Duggan against uh, the Texas Hangman. Texas Hangman 1, Texas Hangman 2. At WCW Malice at the Palace in 1998. Does that ring any bells? No. No. He's also got a dark match on a Nitro against Texas Hangman. Is this what you're thinking of? He's, he <laughs> it's that type of stuff, yeah. He did a dark match on Jacked as well against Gerald oh, Briscoe. <laughs> Was he an actual trained wrestler he wrestled Bill Alfonso at ECW but looking at his list of opponents here he did team with Brutus Beefcake but other than that it's a lot of non-wrestlers that's dangerous I think we yeah. I'm going to have to go Jimmy the Hart. Bubba the Sponge binge or something <laughs> check him out <laughs> that's that's uh... that roast dinner you cook so at least that'll cheer me up a bit be a bit of a laugh I'll have some bleak beef in my mouth yeah get a fry up on while you're doing it you know uh, yeah 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 it's another <laughs> wash it down with Next a lovely time. fry up uh, but th- again it's not all negative, is it? Like, I, all of those things no. I hated about the show. I didn't think it was a blowaway show, but I did enjoy things on the show. Like, I mm. absolutely... It was an easy watch once the main show got going, I thought. For yeah. the most part, yeah. It, it felt like an inter- inconsequential watch in a lot of ways, but mm. the way definitely hype. But, like, Darby Allen was fantastic on the show. Um, again, from a booking point of view, I didn't like that the focus after him kind of surviving the match with Cody, which should have been the story... Uh, yeah. you know, doing the Rev Pro style uh, countdowns to the end and, and building. Didn't, the commentators didn't really build the drama of it, but the drama of, you know, they managed to, you know, stick it out there with Cody and look good right until the bitter end. I like that. Um, but then the focus straight away moves on to, um, what's he called? Uh, the ten Sean Spears. Sean Spears yeah. of all. Yeah. Jobs for the lads. That's another kind of warning sign. Um, you know, let, let's push Sean Spears because he's Cody's mate. I'm sure they can tell a good story with it, but, you know. We'll see. I but I think Darby Allen, it, yeah. in all seriousness, Darby Allen was a was definitely a high point of the show. That coffin drop to the apron was my god. Oh. That's just Darby Allen all over, isn't it? Um, but I really enjoyed that match. Yeah, that was my favourite match on the entire show, I think. I thought the story was really well told. Um, I thought Allen was really exciting. Anytime he was on offence or anytime he was kind of highlighted in the match, it was just really good fun really interesting really engaging he worked his ass off he knew this was the biggest opportunity of his life as well like nothing but hard work there as well and he's unique he's got a unique style he's got a unique offense a unique look that stands out as well and this, yeah him and cody it's a weird sort of clash of styles mm. but they managed to work it pretty well i thought um i sort of liked how as the match went on Cody, Cody sort of took him for granted, mm. 
But then as the match went on and he heard the time cues, he reacted to the time cues, which I liked. He did his facials when he heard the time cues were excellent. And there was this like increase in aggression as the match went on, as he realized that he was kind of in trouble here. And this guy wasn't as easy to put away as he thought he was going to be. Love some of the hope spots for Derby at the end as well. Thought those worked really well. Thought they built real sympathy for him at times. Is the way he missed some of his sort of high risk stuff as well. Mm. Like the stuff with the cut with the with the the um, body bag as well. Mm. That was really cool. Yeah. And I thought they kind of made a star in Derby Allen. But unfortunately, as you said, Benno, they moved away from highlighting him way too quickly. Like you think about how an example to use that maybe not everyone will have seen, but we all watched the Michael Oku pack match. And they highlighted Pack in the uh, sorry Oku in the building after the match. He got stand ovation his way out. I feel like Allen should have got something similar here. Mm. And this chair shot angle, they could have waited to another day. Yeah. Like surely this should have been Cody selling frustration yeah. that even put Darby Allen away, and you could have furthered that story ever so slightly. And mm. you could have built Cody's character more there as well. And unfortunately, I just thought that this was really mistimed angle, if anything. A, an angle like this could have actually worked in so much better for the Rhodes versus Young Bucks tag match and have it after that because he tagged with him as well. So he kind of fitted more naturally yeah. into that. And they could have had that after and the match. And he chose Dustin. And he chose Dustin. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and that could have worked a lot nicely. But I, I agree. I'm, I'm probably not as high on it as you. Partly because I, I think I was starting to feel very tired at that what time. Do you think? Uh, I think I only went three. Oh, same but... as Walter Star then. Yeah, yeah, it's as good as Walter Star. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Yeah, you take that overview once. Yeah, <laughs> I went three point um, seven five. But I, like, I liked actually, it a bit. in the in the spirit of rewatching things, I might have to go back and have. I mean, the Derby. I mean, he stood out for me particularly with those kind of incredibly reckless spots he does but he does have a real appeal and he does feel much more 2019 to be frank yeah than a lot of wrestling that's out there this feels like someone who feels like he is going to be a star into the 20s mm. he did look small i would say that that was like my one negative yeah. like stood next to cody but i agree with all that he does look like a potential star didn't hurt it. Like, yeah, he looked tiny compared to Cody, but I thought that worked quite nicely in the match at points as well. But also long term, I, I, this is one of the interesting sort of meta things about AEW. I wonder if they do is whether or not just not kind of even acknowledging size necessarily as much, or not not in not being the kind of be all and end all. Yeah, that I might be able to kind of break the boundaries of having someone like a Darby Allen as a yeah. star. I think. Like, Going with you that, there's the opportunity for that direction in AEW as well. There's no like giant. There's no one really who's gigantic in AEW. Baron, thank I, God, I've got a back Corb in there. No, I think it's like it's like you know when uh, AJ Styles came into WWE and he got in the Rumble and he stood there opposite like. And Chris Jericho looked like a giant compared to him, and he tried to get Roman up to that for that uh, Styles clash, and it looked kind of silly. Do, do any of us say that about AJ Styles anymore? You kind of forget, don't you? It becomes normal. Mm. Uh, same with Joey Janela and Moxley in the main event. That looked, you know, the two of them kind of, there was a big size disparity, but I think it's just the fact that you, it's just getting used to it, isn't it, more than anything. Um, I did think that match had a lot in common with, with with this match as well, in that it was a, a match that was kind of, again, supposedly there to to give, you know, to make Janela look strong and loss, and then you kind of forget about it with the with the Omega angle after. Um, yeah, that again, kind of a similar kind of booking trope to, to what they did with uh, 
with with Cody as well. Uh, I don't know if you, you guys were any higher on that match. I I liked it. I thought it was it, it was a good throwaway brawl, but it did feel a bit throwaway. You know the fact that it kind of came with no real. There's no grudge there, is there, for them, the two of them to be trying to kill each other. It was a fun spectacle, um, and I get why you know somebody might like it, but for me, yeah, it was it was fine, uh, just not spectacular. If yeah, I was gonna say I'd go along with that. Sort of, I I enjoyed it. Mm. Um, uh, I watched it the next morning. I wasn't awake by that point to to see it at the very end. I, I enjoyed it for what for what it was. I think it's too uh, the second show of a of a company and having a lights out unsanctioned match. <laughs> yeah, someone oh, you the lights out stuff was so hammy, wasn't it? Didn't need to do that. It was just like it was putting on a on a death match, and it's and again it's the second show, so the kind of long term development stuff isn't going to be there. And I wonder if they're to a degree was this here because they wanted that kind of those viral moments. Mm. From AEW, and this gave plenty of that in terms of in in terms of viral moments that prove we're not like WWE. Look, we've got deathmatch stuff going on mm. with with barbed wire and the rest of it. Mm. And if that's the case, then it achieved that. You know, I think overall the crowd seemed to enjoy it. I thought it was it was okay. I mean, for me, the the match of the night was the was the six man tag, mm. but you know. I thought it was fine, and again, you know, having seen Moxley in a, in another match, he's he's doing all right so far, and obviously his good mate Seth is making sure he's getting the rub on the outside of the company as well by turning into <laughs> a massive baby face. So it's you know looking good for John Moxley. Yeah, good work. I think for, uh, for me, this is just, it's just not my style of wrestling mm. at all, mm. and it was fine. I didn't not enjoy it but I wasn't really into it hmm. and I'll never be able to invest in a match, which is as a stipulation, but there's no feud. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have a yeah. feud. And if there's meaning in the spots and there's a purpose to the spots, I'm there. I'm, uh, you know, look at all the random Jimmy Avoc plunder matches over the yeah. year. I absolutely hate. That's how we'll be this, getting them. Yeah. This was better than that. Mm. But at the same time, I'll never get into a match like this because I just think to myself, why are you jumping in thumbtacks when, like, like think of Randy Orton against uh, Mick Foley all them mm. years ago and those great thumbtack spots, you know, and how much meaning they have in the way Orton sold them and how we hadn't seen thumbtacks in WWE for, like, four years at that point. Mm. It meant so much because there was a rivalry there. This was just, like, throwaway. Yeah, there's a few thumbtacks. Have that, mate. We. <laughs> it's, it's one of them... Couple... Orton's never recovered since those thumbtacks. That was his yeah. last good moment. <laughs> but it's one of them couple of mates having a brawl match. No beer, which was cool. Um, but that was the only thing missing from it, really. And mm. I've no real time for those sort of matches, to be honest with you. It was fine mm. i will say this and i sort of said it but i didn't go into detail on one of our previous shows i like the moxley stuff i think people are overly excited about him because he did a couple of great podcasts and he's fresh this is what he likes this is what he enjoys we're going to get a lot of this i don't think he's as good in the ring as people have made him out to be so far and i thought there was a danger of this all along i'm really looking forward to seeing him in g1 well, i'm worried about the g1 they but it's going to be something slightly different isn't it it's something yeah. to it's an unknown quantity that we don't know about and he can't do this in g1 mm. so i think there's an intrigue there if anything but yeah i don't i think moxley isn't as great as a lot of us have 
mm-hmm. been led to believe at this point in time. Yeah. That that G one, I mean, it'll really let's be honest, it'll put hairs on his bollocks. Mm. Like if he can if he can develop himself on that. <laughs> Like it's a it's the real test. Well, Renee, you'll have to get the old razor out. <laughs> well, then there. Yeah, I, I mean, again, yeah, I went I went three on it. So yeah, again, for me, that's my that's my uh, my Walter David star. Uh, <laughs> JP, you mentioned you gave you were big on the six man. That was kind of your favourite match of the night. For me, I gave that three point two five. I wasn't big on that either. I mean, really? I'm not saying any of this was bad. It was just I don't know. I think a couple of we're all all over the shop. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah. To know I went three point five on it. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, kind of the same ball. I probably went four. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was. I, I as well. I thought yeah. it was pretty good. It is what it is, isn't it? It's it's the match you would have expected. Yeah. I don't think it was as crisp as I hoped for. I think it just wasn't quite. You know, it was a good version of this match, not a great version of this match. I think it depends on your mileage. Yeah, it's a match we've all seen before, though. It was the right match for the crowd, I thought, mm-hmm. as well. They ate it up. This is where they know how to get the crowd. The Fighter Fest stuff was bad in terms mm-hmm. of parody. The Street Fighter stuff was perfect for this yeah. crowd. And, again, I'm gonna, I made the point about how something needs to be fully in the zeitgeist and have kind of years of people understanding the formula and kind of the tropes. And here they came out as Ryu and Ken, you know, I'm Ryu sure a lot... I always, said Ryu. I always said Ryu. Ryu, yeah. yeah. But people know that straight away. You had the Hadouken spot as well, which I thought was a lot of fun. JR hated that. Oh, uh, <laughs> you can feel it in his voice. He hated that and he hated Darby oh. Allen. They were the two things that stood out on this show with JR. You could just do, you love his false, do you love his false voice when he's sort of going, Young Bucks, best in the world? And it's like, mate, your fake voice is he just. He knows giving- he's paying his wages. Oh yeah! Wait till the revival turn up. Then thing. Then then he'll get excited. Then business will be about to pick up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did anyone else stand up for you on the show? I thought it was a good show for for MJF. Mm. I think you know I, I'd listened to him do a promo for three hours. Um, thought it was yeah. good for him. I thought Nyla Rose looked better this time out without getting overshadowed oh, by a much gosh. better big girl. Um, I thought that match was ridiculous. Really? I've seen a lot of people, yeah. I thought it was absolutely ridiculous. I've seen a lot of people who are really, really high on that match. I thought it was solid. I thought, I thought they, mm. I thought it was fine as a match. I thought it was entertaining. I thought they made Nyla Rose look like an absolute mug. Right? This should have been where she was standing out, and all of her big monster spots were getting over in a big way against these two little girls, basically. Yeah. Right? Think about the biggest moment of the match. The moment that was over the most was that flying knee drop she did yeah, yeah. when the, the girl was on the ropes they didn't capitalise on that they then had to take one of the wrestlers to the top rope and then they went to another spot then there was a the bit where she caught them both but then the two Japanese girls reversed that as well and then she didn't hit that big spot so constantly there was this way of reversing Nyla Rose's big spots that would have got her overboard this should have been about making her right Whereas she wasn't really made here because she hit one or two big spots that did get over, but they weren't consistent. Now, a lot of her spots need to be established as a sort of big, I hate saying this, it sounds really horrible, big girl. <laughs> and I'd say big man, that sounds awful, doesn't it? Mm. But they needed to establish those spots more. And then a few months down the line, when you've established those big spots, start reversing them start having people find ways of smartly reversing them getting around them whereas it felt like this was going in 
sort of, uh, this was sort of a match they should have been they should have been doing three four months down the line where they were trying to overcome the threat of Nyla Rose mm. whereas instead this was the time to make Nyla Rose and I thought they really really after the last show as well squandered an opportunity with her here mm. I thought there were lots of really really silly moments where they made her look kind of stupid and then the end happened it was quite an awkward ending and then no one got over because she then got her heat back. So this was WWE booking, I thought. Really bad. Really? Yeah, really bad. So think about it. So, so one of the girls... No, wins, I, see, I see what you mean. She yeah. then put it over. Her. Then they have a fallout, and it's like, eh? Like, what, what has this achieved? It was just bad. I mean, the shove afterwards was, was odd. Like, with yeah. Rio and... Uh, Yuka, but establish the spots, yeah. then start doing all the reversals to those big, uh, yeah, spots. Yeah, it's bit, look, she's bigger than, you know, say 98% of, of, of all the women wrestlers, so you can't really. It's not a, it's what you'd say if it was a man, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, it just feels, feels really, I don't know, that's I, right saying it. I got, I got the impression that they're trying to tell somewhat of a different story of her about this is someone who's got the potential to be a monster, but she's very, very green and she can't win, okay. even at this point, can't win these kind of matches. Mm. And and about that there's going to be something that kind of... In other words, try and give her a year or so to kind of work through issues in terms of, like, how green she is in the ring. And then at that point, kind of build her up because the crowd were really into her when she did, like, the big knee and yeah. the rest of it. like one spot. Yeah, yeah. The whole match, she was able to hit clean. The rest of it was reversal, reversal, reversal. Two, two against one, two mm. against one. Mm. She looked like a mug. Interesting. Well, I thought she looked better than last month, at least. Uh, yes, <laughs> there is that. Um, but yeah, I suppose Sorry, that's. Did uh, you guys like it? Yeah, I, <laughs> I enjoyed it. No, I, 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 I don't I, think you're wrong either. I don't think they're they're bad points that you're making. It does. It speaks to the wider booking point, doesn't it? To that finger on you know what you're actually doing with you with your talent uh, issue that we've been saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, I just thought this was a little bit short-sighted. It wasn't a bad match by mm. any means. Um, but yeah, just the, uh, I don't know, like the thought process yeah. that got into it. I sort of was thinking, what? And if mm. Brandy is booking this division, her experience <laughs> of wrestling, I suppose, pre this is mostly WWE. So mm. is that where she's taking her kind of, inspiration from possibly i'd hope i mean she's always come across as being really sort of smart and on it generally so you'd hope that that's not the case well it's meant to be um, her and omega isn't it and yeah yeah mm. who knows yeah yeah that's it anything else stand out for you on the show then like i say i, I enjoyed mjf's role on it i thought seema looked seema looked good against uh, chris daniels if that's a direction you want to go that was a solid match on the show uh, any other thoughts yeah. in general Fine opener, solid. Felt like an opener on a good WCW show for yeah. 20 something years ago, if anything. Yeah. Fair enough. And anything on MJF, I enjoyed the uh, when he cut his promo about the uh, the fans being virgins and they cut to that one poor dude in the oh, first row. Yeah. I was pissing myself. Like, he's going to be a meme for years now. Yeah. I liked his line about how he liked video games and then he had sex. That yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also, as well, one of the great things he's at is, and it was it's something about the way that he's great at cutting corners in the ring. There was just like a lot of times he's not, he's the one who's never doing the big moves because why would he? It's a complete deal. He just wants to win. So he's going to do cheap roll-ups if he can, in order to get away with it. Mm. Like he is absolute, his dedication to the heelish craft is, is there. As you know, and, from your hole. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Look through me as if I wasn't there, and I, and then I gave him the nod of approval of like you're doing your job, son, and then went downstairs. <laughs> but I mean, before we move on, I mean, the one other point we should probably touch on. We kind of went past it, but we didn't talk much about it. Mm. Um, the Cody chair shot. I don't know if either you've got any strong opinions on that. I'm not asked. I, you know my opinion on stuff <laughs> like this. Uh, maybe I'm just a sadist. Uh, yeah, that kind of caused some trouble. You know, the fact that he took a, a full-on, quote-unquote, unprotected chair shot from the, the former Ty Dillinger. Mm. Uh, for me, I was watching it, and it looked like Cody was trying to, like, take it with his shoulder a little bit. And yeah. also there was... He turned his head around, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, and there's that clip of the Young Bucks saying that they tried to gimmick the chair, and it went wrong in some way, which kind of got them more heat with the Jim Cornettes of the world for, for outright saying that. You're, like, you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't because people either think you're encouraging CTE or you're exposing the business, if there's any such thing as that in 2019. Did uh, did either of you have any strong views on that? Well, you could do this without a chair being involved. So mm. why was a chair involved if there's yeah. a risk there? Yeah. Could have done it with it's a shocking moment. Or something. Yeah, I, I would you... say, like, I mean... There's risk, isn't there, in everything you do in a ring? Like, the amount of head drops we see in matches. Mm-mm. You can take a calculated risk. If I believe them about the gimmick chair, I don't think it's completely out of line to try it. Obviously, it went bad, so, you know, they've kind of lost that argument regardless. But, I don't know, wrestling itself, sir. That's it always mostly... going to be my point. Wrestling's a, a calculated risk in itself. It mostly annoyed me because it took away from Darby Allen. Yeah, yeah, fair yeah. enough. There was that. I, I think, as a rule, generally, I don't like them. Mm. But that's just me. And yeah. it isn't, it's not something that I kind of lose the plot over. Mm. But, yeah, unprotected chair shots the head are never good ideas. One, Seems like a very obvious thing to say. One last thing I wanted to ask as well. Mm. Obviously, we spoke about the show. We spoke about the parody stuff in the work. What did you make of the actual overall presentation of the show? Because I thought the arena looked pretty good. It looked a yes, lot it better did. than it did last year. Yeah, it looked... It was, was like lights up last year, yeah. but it looked a lot better. And, and I mean, it looked fuller than it was as well. So yeah, it did. I mean, it did apparently like kind of sell out. I think in the end, it got to about like four thousand or so. Because it looked, mm. it looked to me sort of like seven thousand, eight thousand. It was much. On TV. Yeah. I know it wasn't that many, yeah. but it was shot really effectively. I thought. Yeah, there, there, there was things definitely from a production point of view that they managed to do. They did make that show look good, and the crowd kind of wanted it's uh, the thing that they have on their side as well as they've got crowds who've got a lot of goodwill towards them and they will elevate things that perhaps really aren't as good um as they really are to being that little bit better and that's important and, mm. it, and it kind of adds to the idea of them being hot and especially if you think of of how annoyed wwe crowds are and the, the sort of very vocal way that they're telling them mm. that they don't like this stuff and then they don't listen to them at all, obviously. Yeah. I think I, I think there's, you know, it's going to be interesting where they are by the time of all of all out, because obviously between that, they've got the fight for the fallen show. If they can withstand the monolith that is involves 10th anniversary. <laughs> but uh, after that, you've got the all out show. I think the mm. all out show will give us a better idea in terms of where they are. That'll be the fourth show they will have done. You'd hope they would have mm. smoothed some stuff out. But there's they- a librarian on all out. I'll mm. be genuine. <laughs> at that point, I think I'll be worried. Yeah. I think at this stage, there's enough goodwill that stuff that isn't quite right, and they seems like they would respond to criticism well. They're mm. not just going to suddenly start telling everyone that I'll go back to your parents' basements, are they? Because they <laughs> they, they disagree with them in any way, shape, mm. or form. I don't think that's going to happen. 
it, it does feel like a feeling I'll process these mini pay-per-views we're getting before all out. I'm, yeah. I'm split on them myself. Like I kind of, once they're up and running full time, I've got no problem with them having like smaller pay-per-views. Mm. Uh, you know, and even doing the gimmicky stuff on your smaller shows. But I do think right now, as we're all tra- kind of learning uh, about what AEW is, it's just an odd time to have that show to now have a fight for the Fallen. And we had so much enthusiasm, didn't we, about AEW, you know, coming off double or nothing. And I'm not saying it's entirely dissipated it anyway, but, you know, uh, I'm not quite as as enthusiastic as I was. And I don't think it's the best representation of what they are um, doing shows like this. I, I don't know if I'd say the outright shouldn't have done a, done a show, um, but yeah, there's a there's definitely, definitely uh, lots of room for improvement there. The way I think about this is these next couple of shows, it's like a comedian going on tour and he's got material he wants to try out beforehand. So he does a few test shows to test out mm. that material, mm. see see what direction it should go. And that's the way I've sort of thought about these shows to some degree. Um, I think they're going to be shows we look back on. We look back on them in kind of a weird way, in the way we say look back at the early UFC shows to some extent. Mm. Um, yeah, I wouldn't, I'm not writing this off yet. I think it was a solid show. I think let's give it a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not d- d- any more down on the promotion overall. I just think there are things they really need to take a long and good hard look at and question whether it works and what they should be doing instead. But yeah, it feels slightly experimental at the moment and I think it's kind of learning what it is. Mm. Mm. Fair enough. Joe, would you like to hear about uh, moving on? Would you like to hear about a promotion I am a bit down on? I'm a little bit scared to tell you. Uh, what? <laughs> um, no, next I was going to talk about Rev Pro in Manchester. Um, uh, unless what, you've got. Why would I be scared to hear that? <laughs> you're Rev. You're on the payroll, Joe. You you do you do free paid work for uh, for Andy Coop. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, only messing. Like, yeah, I'm, on the same day as uh, as AEW, uh, on the same day as Fighter Fest, I I did go to to Rev Pro show in Manchester, the ungovernable show, builds around Lij. Uh, I kind of left to be honest with a, a very mixed kind of opinion on RevPro right now. Um, I think going in, it wasn't the strongest card. Uh, I think Shingo Oku was the match, uh, and I enjoyed it. Um, I'll go into it in a minute, and you know that was a good capitalization of uh, of what RevPro RevPro been doing with Michael Oku. Um, I get the idea going in, coming out. I had a little bit of questioning about, yeah, maybe, you know, I know you can't do much about the timing, but was it the best place, you know, being a Manchester crowd, not a London crowd for Michael Oku? But yeah, all in all, it was a, it was a very mixed afternoon. I've got to be honest. Um, I, it's funny. Have, have you ever been to Victoria Warehouse? It's the, uh, it's where they do like Victoria, the uh, no. warehouse project in Manchester. They did pro- obviously progress with there last year. Uh, Rev Pro didn't draw, I would say near what progress did. I think progress was something in the range of like a thousand two hundred. I think RevPro was about half that. Um, someone can correct me if I'm wrong. They did a good job of laying the laying the, the building out though. Uh, you know, all the sight lines are good. I was kind of stood at the bar. Joe, you wouldn't have been impressed. The the only beer actually you might be impressed. The only beer they had was Red Stripe. I don't know how you feel about Red Stripe. I ain't impressed at that at all. <laughs> Shit, lager. I didn't think so. <laughs> Gets overpriced because it's like it's got like a cool factor to it because the can looks quite cool. It's like, it's like, it's nightclub at three in the morning beer, isn't it? Uh, that's exactly yeah, what it is. Jamaican bar down the road here, which was the notorious, 
Yeah, but notorious late night spot. After three a.m., you'd when the clubs were closed, you go down there if you wanted to carry on. <laughs> I used to see the Rasta guy who runs it in Tesco's on a Saturday afternoon, buying cans of Red Stripe in two trays. Yeah, he's a proper chance, and then selling them for a five reach. He's, he also took Tory money. Do you remember that article mm. where he apparently David Cameron used to apparently babysit his kid when he yeah. was at Oxford University? It's like uh, whatever press officer in the Tory private said, ah, let's make Cameron look kind of cool. Let's find some cool bars in Oxford and <laughs> speak to a Rasta guy who can tell us about what a great friend of David Cameron he was while he was at university. Bollocks. David Cameron, red stripe. Ugh, he ain't going near that shite, is he? <laughs> uh... Sorry. Where am I going? <laughs> no, that's the that's the important stuff. Yeah, because it was a shame. Because last time I was there for progress, you know, the 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 the, the choice wasn't amazing, but they had like a JW Lee's Lager on, which is like a a Manchester brewery, and a couple of other choices. Maybe that just put me in a bad mood. But I mean, I think don't get me wrong. I went and I you know bumped into loads of people we know. Um, my mate Matty actually bumped into somebody who recognised uh, that he was the Matty Edwards who gets referenced on this podcast a lot and that he had a book that he writes wrestling matches in. So he was made up with that. Uh, bumped into the Ogdens, bumped into Gareth. Uh, did have a, like, a nice day out. It was a sunny day out in Manchester. Uh, but yeah, I just don't know what about, it is about Ref Pro in Manchester, but something's just not translated and I just don't think they're putting the best foot forward. I would say... For the most part, the, the, you know, I said the crowd was maybe in the five six hundred range. It didn't feel like very much a Rev Pro crowd. It did feel like a lot of people returning, you know, New Japan fans who maybe went to the uh, you know the Rev Pro slash New Japan shows last year and mm-hmm. all Um Maybe that was maybe hurt the atmosphere a little bit. But yeah, I mean, we we talked about this card, and I just don't think Rev Pro really put the best foot forward. I know you know David El Fantasma was off in Australia, wasn't he? And David Starr was elsewhere as well but it did feel like a car where like yeah you take those two guys away uh, and it just was weak from from top to bottom um like the i mean you might have enjoyed the jp the first half of the show was uh, we had a six-man young boy match uh gabriel kick kenneth halfpenny sean jackson against brendan mike clark connors and carl fredericks i don't know if they're their names that are oh yeah other than gabriel kid that are uh, that are big to you the latter two lads are the american boys who've been at the uh shibata's la dojo that's there you go i knew you'd know uh yeah and obviously you know shibata came out after the match and endorsed gabriel kid as going out to the la dojo a bit weird gabriel kid you know he's been on the scene hasn't he a good number of years like five six year pro at this point uh kind of weird that he was like young boy in trunks but i can kind of take it but yeah it was just a they kind of, I could take that as a dark match, but they started with that. Then we got Dan McGee against Hikaleo. Then we got, uh, is it Silesia Sparks against Giselle Shaw? Yeah, that is. In, in a just, really yeah. sloppy second. They were the first three, there were only four, four matches in the first half. You can get away with like one or two of those matches to start your show, and then you get into the proper stuff. But three in a row, it was just too yeah. much. Uh, I appreciate that the women's match was on third, not second, but. Yeah, um, yeah, it was just a real. I mean, and we went. That was the bulk of the first half, and then we went straight into Shingo and Michael Oku, which again was the match that I was there for. It it was very good. Uh, I think I uh, actually had a quick chance to have a chat with Michael Oku, lovely young lad. Um, JP, you could take him under your wing, I, I bet. Uh, no. Nice bloke. Don't ruin his career. <laughs> he, like, he likes a roast dinner. Does, Does it? it? Yeah, the, uh, on Mother's Day, he cut some promo at the cockpit about how he was as like a roast of his mum on Mother's Good Day. Good lad. And he was there at the cockpit or something, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he's, he's not part of the rebellion, unfortunately. Yeah, no. The uh, bastard 
Hack. I'll ask him his opinion on Avery Lights from up north, isn't he? Gravy. <laughs> he is a bastard, though. You know, you never know. Uh, I wonder if Shingo likes a roast. Uh, maybe. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, to speak to, like, the problem with the car, like, say, those first three matches were nothing matches. And then we went into the big match. And I was a big proponent of this match. I love Mike Loco being put in, in there with Shingo. I don't think there's much you can really do about it, so I almost feel bad complaining about it. But, yeah, Shingo was by far the more popular of the two. Uh, it <laughs> felt like a crowd who weren't aware of the Mike Loku pack match, for the most part. There were definitely smaller pockets of people cheering for Oku, but overall, I don't know, Joe, if they were uh, you know, mid-2000s Ring of Honor fans who came to Liverpool and, uh, and saw Shingo in those days, or Dragon Gate UK fans. Uh, a lot of it was the Ogdens. They got some blame on Twitter. They were big behind Shingo with their, with their chants. But it kind of hit the dynamic of the match because Shingo is obviously the dominant one and Oku's fighting from underneath. And it was still very good, but it kind of lost something with, you know, Oku obviously, you know, losing at the end, but, you know, coming across well and continuing to fight throughout the match when he's essentially, there were times where he's trying to fight back against Shingo and there were pockets of the crowd actually booing him. It just made me think, oh God, yeah, uh, this is maybe not the right crowd for this. Uh, you know, I love uh, Mike Loku's obviously on the rise in Red Pro. You've got to continue that story. But if the people in the crowd don't know that story, um, and I know that, you know, the cockpit matches on, on the underbound, but, you know, Rev Pro stuff is has been slow to get on the on the underbound recently. Um, I don't know if you can blame the Manchester crowd for maybe not being fully aware of the story here. But yeah, it was, it was very good. I think I gave it 3.5 or 3.75 on on grapple but yeah wasn't quite the the level i was i was hoping for again don't know if it's the placement the crowd it was in front of but yeah the the one the match that i was really looking forward to and the one banner match in this first half yeah didn't quite save it for me yeah it's it's something that um me and joe were speaking about today and it just seems that that with rev pro at the moment that there's no excuse for not having promo packages mm. like building people up really true that's the, the sign of kind of simpler stuff that fills in gaps little highlights from the cockpit that you put out in a, like a four or five minute long video you have to be shooting this stuff you have to be producing this kind of content because if you are doing more in the way of storylines you're going to have to actually tell those stories and yeah. not just rely on subscribing to the VOP, VOD if you can see it through the thumbprints. I think they're um, a little bit lost as a promotion they at are. the moment. Um, like I still enjoy, I've said every podcast, I still enjoy those cockpit shows, but that isn't the promotion as a whole. Those are shows that kind of exist in a vacuum. Yeah, for a couple of hundred people. Yeah, and you have like an expectation, and that expectation is almost I can think of maybe once possibly twice but it's not been fulfilled um they're consistent as a live show um but when they sort of do go out on the road um it does feel like these shows aren't connected in the same way mm-hmm. um I know the the Bristol show didn't to be fair the Guildford show did the um Northampton show seemed to but these are those are much smaller shows than what this was intended to be as well and you look at the crew for this and it just felt like it was New Japan plus a few kind of yeah. Rev Pro mid-carders there were none of the yeah. Rev Pro big hitters here like yeah Zack Sabre Jr was there I class Zack as a New Japan guy at this point mm. in time that's that's mm. what we all know him for. That's what we watch him for the most part. He's a mainstay there. 
And it just feels like, I don't know, do they not book the guys they wanted for this show early enough? Did they take other bookings because mm. they took them earlier on? It just feels like it's a bit lost and yeah. is lacking a bit of identity at the yeah, moment. That's, that's a big mm. thing for me. And I, I'll be honest, like, I think the reason historically, and, you know, I'll question it maybe in recent years, but I've always been a, a bigger Progress fan than a Rev Pro fan is, you know, for all the negative things you can say about Progress, and we say a lot, Progress is at least until recently, had an identity. A progress show is a progress show. I don't know what what you're exporting with RevPro when you take it to a new town because you take the New Japan guy, you take the LIJ guys off this show and what, what is it? What is RevPro? Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they don't have a unique atmosphere or no, branding. Just I mean, matches. that's the problem. It, yeah. They're trying to do stories, but it still feels like it's just... like. Case in point, like, you know, maybe I'm, people might say I'm harsh on the first half because we did get that really good match. In the second half, you've got Tetsuya Naito over. And okay, you know he's going over. That is another problem. Uh, the New Japan guys go always, well, for a lot of the time, go over. But okay, it's you've got Tetsuya Naito. You want to put him against someone, maybe similar to Oku, where you give him, you know, someone a, a fighting chance who eventually loses. And I know you guys have been high on a couple of his matches, but MK McKinnon was the choice here. And it just yeah. doesn't work for me. It's mid two thousand. Yeah. He looks like shit. Like his fucking his singlet is fucking awful. He's tiny next to Naito, and Naito's not a big guy. He just looks so shindy. His offense looks mid two thousand shindy. He's fine as a wrestler. It was a fine Naito match, but there couldn't have been a more obvious golfing class. And it just said to me, you know, okay, yeah, David Sarrell, Fantasma, we're off. But did Rev Pro have another option? Like, who, who was the other option? Who could you put in this spot? Maybe you can pl- pluck. Maybe you know Andy Quilden should be plucking a kid from that from the tag that was on this show mm. and putting him in spots like this. Maybe it's a bad choice of person, or maybe you disagree with me and think it is a good choice in person. But it just said to me that there's a such a gulf in you know a world class wrestler like Naito and and you know the choice of Rev Pro to put in in against them that, that at this point in 2019 their choice is someone like an MK McKinnon who is a fine wrestler but at this point feels like a relic of the you know 2012 Fight Club Pro days yeah i'm completely with you um i like MK McKinnon he's had good matches in Rev Pro but he also hasn't been in the Rev Pro show for about 3 or 4 months as well and he's very much part-time, mm. and from what I gather, has a very good full-time gig working um, in the TV industry. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's it was a strange choice. I don't think he was really at the point where he has the stature to no. be in this sort of match. And yeah. Manchester didn't know who he was. Like, I, yeah. I, No one in that crowd was really aware of MK McKinnon. Yeah, and an, and an A kid is on the rise mm. and is all over the country and all over Europe. Mm. Um, JP said to me, you could have put Bodum in the position. I think the problem with mm. Bodum is he's done some stupid things against <laughs> New Japan wrestlers in the past. <laughs> yes. So it's a risk putting him in with New Japan. Of course, guys. he was winning the tag titles on, on the night as well. Yeah, um, yeah, he was. Which I, I, I like the Shah Bodum tag team, but I'm sure we'll get onto that in a minute. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just MK making a night. I saw the match announce and was like, "What?" Yeah, like it just it sound. It's just like it's like an FA Cup tie. <laughs> it's like getting yeah. a, it's like getting a Premier League side, like a Champions League side, yeah, against some like non-league outfit. Who's in the Midlands? That's non-league that we could pick for the MK McKinnon. Um, Kidderminster. 
Kidderminster Harriers. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And you get <laughs> Solihull Moors, and you get a lot, you probably get a lot of packages building this up that are really like sort of patronising about like, oh, this guy's a postman and <laughs> MK McKinnon works in TV. You know, I'm sure his full time gig pays him more than his wrestling gig does. Mm. Yeah, it just felt small time. Yeah, in in a way that I I don't know. I just don't see why they gave McKinnon the spot. Does Quilton need help? Him. Does he need someone in his ear? Like, you know, I'd obviously put you I up for so. the job, Joe. But does he need... We were talking about this at the show. Like, is is it that knowledge of, you know... I think he knows who's hot, but he does Does he know, you know, the the quote-unquote underground scene and the other, you know... Does he know that A-Kid... Well, he surely knows that A-Kid's a hot property right now. But, yeah, just talent choice there just kind of strikes me as it just doesn't feel like completely in touch they haven't recovered since the bout of um contracts came up yeah that's that was the thing that at that point and they they haven't really recovered since then they've been able to you know have kind of big dream matches to to sell shows a lot of time though, JP. i mean we give them that excuse I, they have had a lot of time it's been a year and yeah. They, at the point when you ask about, do they need someone to give them a hand? Yeah. yeah, they need someone to take over, take the production away, mm. and deal yeah. with that. And deal oh with that. JP, right on that point. Sorry, like when I was there, I sent you guys a photo, didn't I? I put it on Twitter as well. I was at the bar, and we had a crystal clear HD um, hard cam shot of the show. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. The best Rev Pros ever looked. And I've been told today the show went on VOD and there's fingerprints all over the lens. How is that even possible? I was joking about that being the case. The presentation of RevPro. Like, That's just, unforgivable. You fucking now this stage. Christ. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's appointing. I, yeah. I think they're a few years behind. Yeah, as they well. do. They in the they this stuff, mm-hmm. like, it feels like they've really fallen behind and they've kind of taken production really for granted. Yeah. They're still sort of thinking of how they release shows and how they promote shows in the way that you might have done in sort of 2015 mm. when they mm. did stand out from the pack a lot more because they were putting on such unique matchups and that's what would draw in houses really and mm. yeah it needs to step up we've had yeah. companies come along who can do so much more you look at riptide you look at ott mm. You think of Riptide's budget and the size of Riptide and yeah. what they're able to do. And yeah. I'm not asking for the cinematic quality of what Rip- that's Riptide is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But, mm. you know, come on, some train camera, <laughs> yeah. a bit of investment in that area. Yeah. I, it's got to the point, Joe, honestly, where if I wasn't doing two podcasts about wrestling, I don't think I'd be watching RevPro. I just don't enjoy it uh, as, as a VOD product. Um, yeah, I can, I can see why. I can I see mean, why. Fair enough. Those who. I can. So. For me, it's essentially my local promotion. Mm. So there is an enjoyment there because it is the local promotion and it's consistent when I go see them Fair on those small shows. And the last, you know, there was a York Hall show at the one with Pack Osprey wasn't great. But around that, the November York Hall show was excellent. I thought the York Hall show in May was a great show as well. So there are bright moments there, but there are fundamental issues at its core as well, I think. Mm. Definitely. Um, yeah, and, you know, I did speak to people who had a good time out, enjoyed the day. Um, you know, the, just to wrap up, you know, there was a Zack Sabre Jr. scenario, the main event that I was lukewarm on. It was a three-star match to me. They're going to have a 
Was it Lazy Sonata? Sonata does not give shit no. when he comes here. I'm, I'm kind of really bored. In fairness. seeing him and Evil come here, because oh. they do nothing. They took the T-shirts off. Naito took his T-shirts off, which shocked me. Maybe someone's other word. But yeah, it was it was fine. It was it was a good it was a good technical match, but we're going to see a better match in the G1. I get it, though. You know, there were people there live, you know, maybe closer than me, who were kind of enjoying the mat work. Maybe it's a match that'll 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 enjoy more on VOD if I ever watch it. I can't see it happening. <laughs> um, <laughs> but people enjoy it as well. I mean, the four-way match that was on there, you know, we mentioned it just then. Bodum and Shah Samuels won the tag belt against Aussie Open, uh, the LIJ team, and White Wolf. The LIJ team didn't do much. Um, but White Wolf were in there looking good. Aussie Open were in there looking good. Um, it's nice to be in the building for a title change, but a questionable one. I don't know, you guys pay closer attention to Rev Pro than me, but like Aussie Open losing the belts this soon feels very progress. Oh. Like I, I, I didn't really get that. Uh, I think they can, I think what they're gonna do, um, and I I really like this feud. Um, I really like Shar and Bodum as a team. Mm. Yeah, I've been a big fan of both of them for years. Uh, live, they're a great team, I think, especially in that, especially again in the cockpit. Mm. Um, this is the way they've built this feud when they've done these like mad brawls previously between Aussie Open and Shah and Bodum. I think they're going to exchange the titles. I mm. think it's going to be that sort of feud where you get a couple of title changes thrown in okay. there and you get quite a few matches between them. And then a big blow off. Yeah, and a big blow off. And I think they're going to heighten the kind of stipulation of the matches at various points Thomas as well. Isla. Mm. possibly yeah yeah that's what i can see mm. yeah maybe um but yeah didn't feel me with uh huge, huge amount of confidence going forward for rev pro but yeah maybe if the story pays off like that then that that would make sense but yeah again enough people seem to enjoy themselves it wasn't a bomb as far as attendance i was worried about that it, rev pro doesn't feel big up here but i do think you know they, mm. they did get some bad will but you know a lot of goodwill from the from the new japan shows last year uh, I'll be interested if they come back if they run Victoria Warehouse again what kind of card they put on um, I'm sure I'll go for the day out uh, but yeah I don't know didn't feel uh, didn't come across uh, hugely positive on it but yeah that was the the ungovernable show and while I was watching that did uh, what, have either of you been uh, been watching anything else you want to want to note this week uh, before we uh, we do get out of here I'll I'll keep this to the absolute briefest because I didn't see that much of it I did um I don't know if any of you saw Southern Showdown, the New Japan show. I saw um, Osprey Eagles. You saw Osprey Eagles. You do, what did you think of it, Bruno? Loved it. I thought it was. Yeah. I think it's you know it's obviously Osprey's done better this year, um, and Robbie Eagles is you know this is probably as good as it gets for Robbie Eagles. But I enjoyed yeah. it. I like the story they told with El Fantasmo interfering and Eagles not wanting it and then resetting the match and going back to you know to kind of equals and fighting again and Eagles losing the right way um it was a very good will osprey match you know if, if, i'll probably give again i'll give that probably if it's been a 3.75 show this i'll give that probably that yeah. um better will osprey matches especially this year but you know very good commentary was good too i was gonna say that was one of the points i was most shocked by because i'd mm. heard that don marnell was on there who you yeah. know obviously i don't is like the... his heel stick either no, he does the heel stick in OTT, which wasn't really mm. for me, and the big bagger can stuff. And then here, it's his first show he did as a play-by-play commentator, and I thought he fucking nailed it. Mm. Like, I really did. I thought he was great. He was. It was almost like he'd learnt from Angus McAnally, and I don't want to do him a disservice for saying about how um, that 
you know, it took his ability to do that, but he worked well with Chris Charlton. He knew the history of the wrestlers. He appeared to be sort of clued up on the feud. He had the right tone of voice for a Cullen comment for a, sorry, for a play-by-play commentator. It was like quite authoritative. Mm. So I thought he did a really good job in terms of the rest of the show. It's, if you're interested in seeing the, the, it felt like actually there was a bit of few production issues again on this one. I don't think the crowd miking was there. The arena seemed very dark as well, but they had, you know, it was a novelty having a look at sort of younger Australian wrestlers. One of them was called Nick Berry. Um, you know, let's bring it back to, to him and, and heartbeat again. But, <laughs> So yeah, if uh, I'd be interested to see what you make of it when you get a chance here, but Osprey Eagles is definitely is worth going out of your way to see. Um, I had started with Ring of Honor Best in the World, and then I just thought, "Fuck this!" <laughs> that sounds so like a GP show. You realise you're wasting your time. It is, and what it made me, and I ended up sort of flicking through it and seeing what the results were. I don't think I spent more than six, seven minutes. I think just flicking through to see if anything of interest happened. It's it basically feels like the sort of worst elements of TNA. But that's what that's you're what into. Pro. No, it's I look back at it after that stuff. I'm not into it. I would say, <laughs> and it's just about how bad Ring of Honor really are, and seeing the cr- the shots of the crowd that were there. Would I be surprised if there was about four or five hundred at this? They're an irrelevance as a promotion, if you ask me. They are, they're just at the point of what is their raison d'etre? What's their reason for being at this stage? And we've spoken about like Rev Pro and the rest of it, but it appeared to be, when you got a nine minute main event with Matt Taven going over Jeff Cobb, again, I've not seen the match. You heard some people said it was good. I'm fine with a sprint. I'm not no. fine with Ring of Honor, and I'm not fine with Matt Taven in a main event. Um, <laughs> I'm fine with James Storm and Eli Drake in a promotion that's selling point was apparently work rate. So, yeah, I've enjoyed James Storm over the years, but no. It's come a long mm. way since the Murphy Rec Centre, hasn't it, for, for you two? Well, it did. Yeah. I mean, it's digressed a hell of a way as well. Bully Ray, Delirious, bollocks. Absolute bollocks. Velvet Sky. Come on, come on, yeah. It, Delirious needed to go a long time ago. Yeah. We spoke about Rev Pro just then. I think there are a few similarities there with Ring of Honor. I prefer Rev Pro to Ring of Honor any day of the week, obviously. Mm. But at the same time, Ring of Honor are so far behind the times, it's yeah. unbelievable. They got that same leaning on New Japan problem as well, haven't they? Uh, that's kind of where the comparisons come in, too. Yeah. But also, they've just got, yeah, that problem where. It felt like just looking through the results that show JP. I can't. I don't, it doesn't surprise me. They skip right through it because it just felt like in every possible scenario the wrong man won. Like it felt like it, just one of them shows. Actually, quite difficult to do that. But yeah, <laughs> it, it felt like the, everything that you would say I'm not going to do that they did, and mm. as a result, it felt very TNA. Mm, I say that not as in meaning impact, which is which is generally quite enjoyable. I mean TNA. I just think you love TNA. Come on, Joe, JP. I me, I hate TNA. love it. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. That's that's probably describes it best. There's a mixture of both set of binary emotions there. Fair enough. Anything more on that Ring of Honor or the shows you've watched? They don't Big deserve break? any more time. <laughs> anything more on Heartbeats, uh, Joe? Anything you've been watching? Old soaps. Uh, 
Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been a busy old time recently. Yeah. Uh, women's Women's I, World Cup. Yeah, I watched a bit of that. Uh, one thing I would definitely recommend that I listened to today was uh, Cruel Summer yes. on the Post Wrestling Network with WH Park. JP appeared on the latest episode, and I've listened to a few of these and I've enjoyed them, but this one, and I'm not being biased here, this one was excellent. Martin Bushby, he had a good one. The Brigadier but, of Brit Rest. The Brigadier of Brit Rest, Martin Bushby, did a great job, as of many others, but JP blew everyone out of the water. Martin had the kind of like, eh, what, what would I say, the Osprey-Rocky Romero match. And then JP came along to an Osprey Shingo with WA. <laughs> Is that just because they talked about Degrassi High? I've yes. never seen Degrassi High. Um, I'm exclusively a British and Australian soap opera sort of guy. And when I say Australian, <laughs> just neighbours. Um, no, it was because they spoke about all sorts of shit. I was like, take that. Yeah. JP yeah. got, I was screaming, I turn to you, the Mel C song that was number one in the year 2000. Yeah, you got it wrong, At mate. that point in time, it was like about half two, three a.m. <laughs> It was it was a struggle, and I wasn't cheating at all during the quiz. But it was really good fun. It was like we were having like a really nice chat, where inexplicably, I suppose the conversation halfway through switched to Minabu Nakanishi versus Kensuke Sasaki. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a really it was it was it was really fun to do. We were having yeah. this sort of just nice chat about wrestling, and then we're doing this G One final two thousand, and then back onto the other. No one's leaving with memories of Nakanishi. They're leaving with memories. Of you I'd be interested about. what you two make of that match. I'm not watching it, but they're going to leave thinking about you talking about take oh. that and that St. Mary's State, <laughs> which are things I never thought I was going to hear on, a, on the Post Network with a bloke who's Canadian lives in Japan doing a, a podcast about the G1. But somehow you've got the good name of Howard Donald in there. He knew what he was getting. He's a great bloke, WH. He's a big fan of, uh, of us as well. And he, he knew what he was getting. He knew when, uh, when he signed one of us on. And oh, I'm so yeah. glad it was you, JP, and not me, because I would have really struggled in that quiz. Uh, I, I like spread- reviewing the match. Oh yeah, yeah. The 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 quizzes you you've got to be on it for that. Um, it was as, as matches go, it's all right. I'll just say that it's it, it it's fine. Look, what I'll say for that podcast is, if you want more JP, and there's been a lot of JP recently, and I see JP every day, and I want more JP. <laughs> I don't want more JP, and I am fucking JP. You know what? You know what? You don't want more of me either. But I don't mind more of you. Oh, you Listen are. to this podcast. It, I was driving home earlier, pissing myself. Same, same. There you go. Hearty recommend there. Uh, yeah, oh. Everyone should check it out. And also, and do check out Bushby's episode as well. I was going to say, and, and go back and, and listen to them. Um, some really, really good stuff there. Yours are the best. Thank you. <laughs> There was one. Anything else you uh, you want to re- uh, mention before we uh, before we go? Um, we haven't mentioned it, but I mean, obviously, that you know, it, it was it was a, a news story really on the the week we were away which was the tragic passing of Lionheart, mm. and um, we'll keep it short and sweet because there's a lot of things have been said. I know PCW had a show on Friday. Uh, I know that there was a crowdfunding that had doubled its target in order for the funeral. So it's been. It's been um, and there's been loads of sort of messages from from well wishes towards him and his family as well. So it's more condolences for them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's been interesting to see like how far the the story's kind of broached. Like, you mm. know, just it it seems to have definitely you know hit a nerve, made major news, and lots of people kind of uh, came out and talked about it. And yeah, I mean, I saw a lot of Lionheart in 
mainly in PCW up here where he was the commissioner for a while and obviously people will be familiar with him from ICW but yeah all in all just a just a really sad story and just yeah to absolutely uh, no age there at all mm. people at work asking me and JP about it that's when you know it's reached mm. some sort of mainstream yeah uh, sort of news coverage if anything yeah definitely definitely uh, so yeah, thoughts go out there, and yeah, I think I think you can still donate to, to that GoFundMe. So uh, please do; uh, it's definitely a worthwhile cause. Um, but yeah, before we go, anything you want to plug, JP? Obviously, you were on Cruel Summer. Uh, oh yeah, you were on Post also this week doing British Wrestling Experience. I appreciate that. Uh, you're standing in. Um, I was compared to Olivia Giroud, which I'll probably <laughs> tell you that all day. Actually, even though he did score against us in the uh, Europa League, did he make you worst eleven, JP, or no? No, 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 I've got a lot of time for him. Um, what, what you not it, Benno? HFB. I've Anthony. only seen the first 10 minutes and there were enough quotables there to last me a lifetime. <laughs> Just to plug as well, coming up, hopefully next week, is JP's worst Republic of Ireland 11 as well. Oh, really? <laughs> Possibly, yeah. It's in the works. It's in the works. I'll, I'll do a little spoiler for that. Jerry Payton is definitely the number one, and yeah. it, but it might be more Arsenal-related than Ireland. <laughs> Oh, I look forward to that then. Deep uh, dive that. <laughs> but yeah, uh, other than that, follow JP on Twitter at JPJP. Follow me at Benson Richard E. Just follow Joe in general. Uh, stalk him. Follow his grapple ratings. Uh, he obviously, you know, we don't feel it. That's it. It's the one last uh, social media available on publicly for people to uh, to bother you. So yeah, send you send you hate mail there. Um, just comment on all his ratings. Yeah, um, you can uh, can follow all of us on Grapple. Uh, download Grapple from the Apple App Store and also from the Google Play Store. On Android, follow Grapple on Twitter, at Grapple App, and yeah, that's it. Us for another episode, we'll be back next week talking uh, G1 USA and the uh, the big kickoff. Uh, I'm going to be watching Slammiversary on the Sunday after uh, going to Progress. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you guys are, uh, are planning on staying up for that one, but we can talk that too. I ain't staying up, Jesus. <laughs> well, it'll be pretty fucking special for me to stay up. It's really good special. Oh yeah, but stay up, nah. <laughs> Sorry, mate. No oh, offence. Yeah. How about you, JP? I will probably end up staying up for a lot longer than I'll publicly admit and then fall asleep in bed. You're going to be up. watching it. Mate, we got moderation the next day. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, I have to be on the money for that, don't I? Yeah, but, mate, if you stay up for TNA, <laughs> one of the most important days in our work calendar, <laughs> nah. I'll love you for it, JP, if you do. Brian Cage, Michael Elgin. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well stay tuned and yet you'll find out uh, whether JP did it or not uh, next Monday but yeah we'll be back with uh, everything going on in the world of wrestling bye Again, I wanted to like him because he had hair like Lionel Richie. <laughs> and you thought, oh, this is, this is when George Graham was going a bit mental. Towards well, you know, the end. If you want a footballer to do well, he's got to have Lionel Richie hair. Oh, yeah. 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 He, I mean, he's proper like soul glow stuff <laughs> that he had. Shit. Really? Couldn't cross. Um, he had pace. So do greyhounds. You don't <laughs> play them, left mid. <laughs>